1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 244 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at sw beyond films hey but enough about how you got here let's get this show started i'm one of your hosts the defender of the eu the champion of the multiverse the bipolar star wars fan mark herleman and with me like a dyad in the force the eu guru himself the count of our two continuities mr nathan p butler hey (laughs) hey
0: Right.
1: Well, yeah. well played, well played I was wondering where you were going to come in on that scale Of all the references to make And yeah. I should have saw that one coming <laughs> Of course,
0: Bob Freak is awesome Awesome, the podcast is ready
1: It is, it is I, You know, I, I saw your comments About having his hey hey As a ringtone And I was like, where in the movie Did he catch that? And I actually, I was able to watch it a second time And I caught the moment and I'm like, okay Yeah well, there is two, but the second one is definitely the one I would be using as my Reto. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, so it's been uh, an interesting, you know, while since we last recorded. Um, you know, just just kind of rolling along here. We've got our year in review stuff coming up soon that we'll be recording, probably a feedback episode after that. Ah, uh, this will be our Rise of Skywalker episode, and those together will probably take us like halfway into the year, given how infrequently <laughs> we're able to record lately. Um, I'm in the process right now of unloading my, most of my canon library, because again, you know, kind of the same thing—just not a whole lot of space. And with those in particular, I mean, the legend stuff that felt like a collection. The canon stuff, it's just oh, I pre-ordered everything. You know, <laughs> there's not a lot of collecting to do with it except just buying stuff. So. Um, <laughs> Those are on the way out, but that should allow us to do more uh, book discussions in the future because I'm switching over to ebooks. And uh, the downside of that then being I'm not sure about comic discussion because I'm switching to digital only for comics, which means no extra copy code. Um, so we'll just see how that's going to wind up working out. But yeah, I'm slowly getting the canon stuff out the door, but I made the mistake of. Uh, of posting about it right before getting ready to go to bed. So my phone had to <laughs> on do not disturb because I think it's blowing up with people asking about, you know, Hey, do you have this? What about this? What about this?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. the one thing I'm curious about with the shift, you know, to the digital that you're doing, there are books like say, uh, uh, Ray's journal or whatever it's called, you know, the, the, the young reader books and stuff. Are those, are, are these available digitally or that's just are, a sacrifice sometimes.
0: you're making? It just kind of depends. Uh, on which ones they are a lot of them are available in ebook form in some form okay. um, whether it is the kind of and by some form i don't mean like oh you just said ebook that's the form duh um, <laughs> some ebooks can be used on a regular kindle like an e-ink screen others require you to use the app version or a tablet because they're more elaborate kind of like whenever my uh, saga on home video hits its second edition sometime hopefully late next year um the ebook version will be able to be used on tablets. I don't think it'll be able to be used on an e-ink screen because of how elaborate the picture or organization is and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine some of them, yes, some of them no. but right now um, I'm not as much of a completist on reading stuff as much. well, I'd like to be, right. but I don't have the time to be put it that way.
1: Right. So um,
0: some of those things will fall by the wayside to make sure I'm able to read other stuff like force collector. I got a review copy of in physical form uh, but it's just a kind of a finished regular copy. I just picked it up on ebook form because I need to be able to actually read it. I got like a chapter into it and haven't been able to get back to it since. And that was a month, month and a half ago when it first arrived. Right. Uh, so I think this will be better and it's giving me a whole lot more space for the home video collection that keeps growing. Um, you know, which will be good given the fact that we have a crap ton of stuff coming in March or April for that Skywalker saga, Rise of Skywalker, multiple Easy. formats, multiple countries. Um, pretty sure I'm not going to sell a kidney yet, but you know, if anybody's looking for one, I don't need that to afford it.
1: I I was, I was hitting to you on our page about how we should enter you into the Guinness Book of World Records, but I really, I think that there's nobody out there that has as many copies of the saga as you, I think hands down, you've got the title. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are people in the, the
0: collecting community that have a ton of, stuff. it's just a question of what market it's from. Is it all just multiple copies of the same thing? Is it all... Different products of some kind or some variation as opposed to literally the exact same thing with multiple copies purchased as like backups. I don't know that I would take that title at this point. I just, (laughs) you know, I want to make sure that I can make that book as complete as possible for the U.S. stuff and, you know, some cool side stuff. What's sucking is the fact that, you know, we're heading into, you know, the, the, the big box set for nine films plus another film. Uh, coming out all at the same time, which basically means, I mean, just from the UK, I've got about $600 worth of pre-orders in, uh, because there's 12 products, three of which are giant box sets, four of which are limited editions of some kind through Zavi, uh, wow. and the exchange rate between the US and UK sucks right now for the US, so oh. what would have been like about 420, 450 pounds, winds up being about $600. Uh, I canceled Ooh. a huge, I, I had. Uh, backed a, a Kickstarter game called Etherfields that I had saved up money specifically to back because I knew it was going to cost a lot. I finally just contacted them last week and was like, Is there any way I can get a refund? I know I can't get refunded the Kickstarter fees, but the rest of it because we just need the money here. So, right, right. Uh, went ahead and did that. That should be refunded soon. So that at least will take over the bulk of uh, the funding for the UK stuff. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time to be a home video collector because we're heading into, you know, finally box sets of. Nine And finally seeing, you know, some of the films that have never been released in 4K get 4K releases and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's a lot at once, and they haven't even announced, like, individual releases in 4K of the ones that haven't had individual 4K releases yet. So far, all they've announced is the fact that we've got the 4K set coming from Best Buy in the U.S., and then the U.K. has one that's similar that's exclusive to Amazon U.K., Nothing about individual releases. Imagine then adding on top of all the stuff already coming. Hey, here's one through six individually. Hey, maybe here's a prequel set. Maybe here's an original trilogy set. Maybe here's a sequel trilogy set in all these different formats. It's gonna suck. It's gonna be cool, but it's gonna <laughs> suck. Um, but it all goes back to the fact that we've got the the ending to the saga. Satisfactory ending or not. And whether that uh, is our definition or Dark Horse Comics' Definition from back in the day where satisfying <laughs> conclusion doesn't actually have to be satisfying as long as it's a conclusion. Right. Um,
1: no, I don't that know is, if I it guess,
0: even qualified important. back then. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, it's Rise of Skywalker time, T R O S rather than R O T S.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and as Nathan mentioned, we will have our uh, year end review stuff coming. And I think for the first time with The Mandalorian, the tv aspect is going to have its own episode i mean there's just so much there to talk about and as we're going into this one we're focusing as nate said on episode nine so here we go Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we plunge into J.J. Abrams' conclusion to the Skywalker saga. Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we're going to give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance.
0: All right. Well, um, I would say that I, from a non-spoiler perspective, um, I really like the film. Uh, there are some aspects that I have questions about. Um, there are some aspects that were a little bit frustrating because we don't have answers yet. Um, and part of that for me is the fact that the Visual Dictionary was released on the day the film launched. And in trying to avoid spoilers, the Visual Dictionary goes so far in that direction that there are key things that it should have explained or should have talked about or should have had pages about. That it flat out doesn't. Um, It's the weirdest of the visual dictionaries in that sense in terms of ignoring the Bantha in the room. So there are some things I expect we'll get explanations for when we get the expanded edition novelization. But right now there are questions that leave me a little bit frustrated. But by and large, I think that uh, this is definitely my favorite film of the sequel trilogy. And this is coming from someone who liked The Force Awakens and really, really liked Last Jedi. I don't think it's necessarily the best at this point of the Disney era films. I think that title goes to Rogue One right now, Um, but definitely one that I really enjoyed. I'm not sure where it stands just in terms of ranking of all the Star Wars films, but I think I've reached a point where I give up on the idea of ranking all of the films. They are too different in style, too different in tone. You can rank the trilogies. You can rank within the trilogies and that sort of thing. I don't think, for me at least, it's going to necessarily be possible to rank without something more specific than just best Star Wars film To rank all of the films. Um, I will say that I think that of all things with this film, the thing that stands out to me that I would say from a non-spoiler perspective is thank God for Ryan Johnson and Last Jedi. Because I look at The Force Awakens. That film played it pretty safe. Pretty much true to form, pretty much to a New Hope formula. And then you got Last Jedi, where Ryan Johnson kind of blew things up, went in different directions – and now we've got Rise of Skywalker, and to some degree, Rise of Skywalker is a safe Star Wars film, or at least a safer film than Last Jedi was. Mm-hmm. And J.J. Abrams talked about how there are things he was having to do there that are a little more daring, a little more surprising, a little more unusual because of the directions that Ryan Johnson took The Last Jedi, that he sort of had to up his game in terms of actually uh, developing things further and going in some unusual directions. I think – That if The Rise of Skywalker had been like The Force Awakens and been safe and true to form to the point where we kind of sat back after a while and thought, well, it's a good film, but it's just retreading old ground. I don't think Rise of Skywalker would be as good a film, in my view, as it is right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It took the fact that it was having to come up with. You know, how do I deal with the fact that Snoke is gone? How do I deal with the fact that we had this um, force bond thing? You know, imagine the Rise of Skywalker without the force bond uh, and the ability to kind of, you know, have the the physical connection, um, like with the rain on Two showing up in Kylo Ren's hand in Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Without that sort of thing, there are certain aspects of the Rise of Skywalker that would not have worked as well or would not even have been included as elements. Um so in essence, I think Rise of Skywalker benefited from Last Jedi, even if in some cases it's course correcting, which you know assumes there was ever a course to reach, and we know they don't have any freaking game plan mm-hmm. at you know at this point. There is no ma- grandmaster plan, not for trilogies, not for the saga as a whole. Um, but if course correction means getting back onto a JJ track rather than a Ryan Johnson track, um, then you know some of the things that were done that were done well in that regard really kind of owe themselves to the fact that Ryan Johnson did what he did so i think this is making me more positive on aspects of the last jedi in context than otherwise i think it will do that for other people but generally speaking this one this one worked for me i'm a pacing guy The reason why The Empire Strikes Back is not my favorite of the original trilogy, as seems to (gasps) be what is required, (laughs) is that to me, it's a pacing thing. The middle of that film drags really bad compared to the rest of it, in my opinion. I love the early act. I love the final act. The middle stuff drags like crazy, and for me, it makes it tougher to watch when I've seen it a million times, whereas this film is much more like, say, A Rogue One, A Return of the Jedi – uh, to a degree of Revenge of the Sith, where for the most part, it's hit the ground running and go. The pace will slow to a degree, but it's still, you know, fast walking and running as opposed to crawling or just slow walking. Um, so for me, um, it worked well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm stoked to eventually get it on our home video, especially to be able to watch it in 3D at home. And I'm hoping to catch it at least one right. more time in theaters before we're, uh, you know, we're in the home video
1: stage. You know, and I'm in the same boat in the aspect of wanting to go see it in theaters one more time. I want to take my girls to see it. My son, he went with his best friend and got to watch it. And he's hoping to go and watch it again with me and my daughters. But at the price of movie tickets, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford that right now. Uh, but I definitely want to take my little – I was watching uh, – reading The Galaxy Needs You, uh, a Ray book about uniqueness of people and individuals. And I was letting Jaina read it, uh, and we posted a video on, on Facebook. And while I was watching her, I realized that this trilogy – It's not really for me. It's for her. And I'm really looking forward to going and watching it with her and my oldest, but mostly for her. Uh, And like I was explaining to my oldest, like when my oldest was first born and Nate, you're probably able to uh, relate to this. For me, Christmases were always about getting presents and, and, you know, what I gained out of it. Right. That selfishness. And then. I had Taylor. And after that first Christmas, watching her open things and the second and third Christmas, watching her little light light up at the gifts that she got, that became what it was all about, about watching her reaction to what we were getting her and living my life through her eyes and and that excitement. And that was something that just changed fundamentally what – christmas meant to me on a personal level and i was thinking about that with star wars with jana you know i mean like she has loved ray since day one i've i've liked ray i have you know don't get me wrong she's been one of my favorite things about it so when i say that it's not to say that i'm putting ray down it's just that ray means more to jana than ray means to me ray is almost like the luke skywalker in legends the way i look at luke that's how she looks at ray and so i'm really looking forward to going back and seeing it with them now that said uh, for me when I went and saw the last jedi right I loved it I was really excited with it but the more i watched it the less I liked it to the point where that's probably one of my least favorite star wars films but it wasn't that way when I walked out of the theater when I walked out of the theater I was on cloud night it was an awesome experience I was you know besides myself with joy and giddiness I did not have that when I left rise of Skywalker for me rise of Skywalker was the first movie that I felt let down by uh visually it was awesome but when I walked out when one of the first things i said to my wife is I still have to watch this at least two more times, once with my dad and once with my kids. And I don't know if I want to sit in the theater and watch this again. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it at my home, but I don't know if I wanted to invest money to watch something that left me feeling so hollow at that time. Right. And that was a hard place for me to be. Like I told my wife, I got emotional just talking about the fandom side of things. I'm like, now I'm going to be labeled as this hater because I didn't like it. And like, I'm going to be one of those, those. D bag fans and everyone's going to come down on just because I didn't, you know, line up with their impersonate or their interpretation of this film. And that really worried me. And the the fact that I came away, just not liking it was just something that was new for me. Right. And I mean, like you, you mentioned in the ranking, the ranking of films is very hard right now for me. And I, I would agree with you that I think Rogue One's probably the strongest and probably even solo. Like I'm surprised that I feel like the, the standalone films were my highlights of the new Disney films. But one of the things I said to my wife was it's clear to me after watching this movie that what was my favorite era, the post return of the Jedi era in legends in Canon is my least favorite era. And then I could turn around and said, I said, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, there's so much going on in canon. There's so many eras. There's so many aspects and stuff. My favorite right now in canon is Rebels. My favorite character is Kanan. So that can never be taken away from me. I will always have that. And that exists purely in canon. It's not something that shares anything with Legends. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's still aspects of the saga that I can still love, even though I'm not a fan of what came post-Return of the Jedi. Now, saying that, though, I have watched it a second time. And I've been open to more things. I, I made a big post on Facebook, Nate. I, I, you and me had a breakdown on things. And when I watched it the second time, I was like, holy crap, there was two. There was so much stuff going on in this film when I watched it the first time that I visually missed a lot of things. Like, I didn't catch what was going on with certain characters right before certain characters passed away. Like, I didn't realize that there were fundamental aspects of other characters' journeys. Um, I saw, you know, there were, I saw one shuttle when there was clearly two Um you know, and we'll get into this stuff later, like right now I'm being vague on purpose because I don't want to spoil you, but there were things that I just I just didn't see because I became so caught up in my own mind and thinking about things and processing things that all that stuff that was coming at you, some of it just slipped past because I was in the middle of my own thoughts, and – That could be a good thing and a bad thing. I think for me, it was a bad thing because I missed out on so many fundamental things that I didn't get the experience I was looking for. But the other side of that too was my wife won a contest for uh, Grand's Pass heating and air. And so we went with a group of people that I would, I would reference more as casual fans than. Hard fans whereas when i saw the other films i was at that you know midnight showing kind of thing, the very first show granted this was one of the first showings but it was a, it was a spe- special theater just for people that were there with grass, fast heating and air so you know it, it was nobody was hardly anybody had any kind of star wars t-shirt i think i was like one of the few nobody was in costume there was no ah! when, a long time ago none of that it was very quiet right and on top of this like my wife pointed out I wasn't really in a good headspace. I was sick. I'd had pneumonia. I had two inner ear infections. I was honestly, I was desperately worried that I wasn't gonna be able to hear half the movie because my ears kept plugging up and blocking up from about two o'clock to about 11 o'clock. So I was like right in that prime time frame of like, man, I hope my antibiotics are going to kick this out so I can actually hear the film. Luckily, I was able to hear it. But, you know, getting back to the film visually, it was awesome. One of the best films I've ever seen visually sounds soundtrack. Awesome. All that stuff. What I had an issue with was a lot of the plot being left off the page, which normally, as a Legends fan, that's a great opportunity for stuff. But in the current canon, I feel like that's one aspect that Lucasfilm has really dropped the ball with their tie-in materials. They really haven't bumped that up. We haven't had a Stover effect yet. I mean, we've had a couple of novels that have got really close, but nothing that has hit it out of the park, like Matthew Stover did when he wrote the Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith novelization. So, you know, I, I was fighting that issue. Um, so so the plot holes and stuff were real big right out the gate. I mean, in the opening crawl alone, I'm just like, there were things that I wanted to know more about right out the get go. And I want to think that that put me on edge going into the film. Right. So I'm, I'm struggling with that right out the gate. That was a hard thing for me. Uh, now, when I watched it the second time, I was kind of like trying to push that off to the side and try to accept, okay, this is the direction you know they're they're gonna give us the backstory. We'll understand more of this stuff. even though we still don't really know a lot about how Snoke rose to power and how Ray Sloan got knocked out of the picture and and he took over. We can assume stuff based on the dialogue in the first seven or so minutes of the film based off of something one character said. It kind of gives a little of that. but they were so vague that that became a big issue for me over and over and over again throughout the film. And for me, I didn't watch the films again as a lead up, I was reading Resistance Reborn and I had no idea that it was going to be a year later after Resistance Reborn than this film came. You know, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like you know, we're going to go right from this book right into the the film or what. So when I came in there, I was kind of thinking like that was the case. We were going right in. So I'm like, what? The only tie-in here is the blockade runner? And then afterwards, I find out that wasn't even the same blockade runner. So there really was, again, no journey to in the damn journey to book. So it kind of I'm irritated with Lucasfilm in the aspect that they're really dropping the ball the time material now that's not punishment on the film's side of things right uh but i had a lot of times where i was just like well that's convenient that's super how convenient is this And you know by the time i got to the end of the movie there was a lot of very convenient for the plot moments on top of a lot of holes in the plot and stuff that was left out there was a lot of uh disposition that just wasn't there and i i really wanted that i kind of wanted to have this open and closed feeling and i felt like so many things were left wide open That I worry that Lucasfilm will not be able to deliver on it in the books and in the comics. Uh, um, Because that's how I feel like lately they've been. I just feel like they just really haven't given it their all. Now, with the hiatus of sorts, I don't really, I don't know if we can really call it a hiatus since we know films are coming out in two more years, right? But with that hiatus, I think there is an opportunity that they could do better by me in in the way of how I'm expecting to have that tie in. They don't need to cater to me, though. That's not the point. Uh, I do feel like there was a lot of really good moments in here that was fan service and fan catering, and they work really well. Um, the big three, the, the new big three, I should say, because I, I really feel like Han, Luke, and Leia's characters in the entire trilogy have been disserviced. I, I did not, I was, I am not a fan of what they did with those three characters, but the new big three, I really appreciated the dialogue. I appreciated the camaraderie of the characters. Their plot was probably my – and I've said that before about The Last Jedi. Their plot has been what's keeping me coming back and sitting down and wanting to know more. Uh, So in that regard, J.J. did an excellent job. So for me, I came away – I did not like the film on my first viewing. But I I automatically knew, you know, like every Star Wars thing, the more you watch it, with the exception of The Last Jedi for me, because that was the one, the more I watched, the least I liked it. But every single book and every single movie and stuff, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. And I'm hoping that that's going to be the case, the more I will understand, because there was a lot that I didn't understand. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because, again, J.J. had so many things that he was trying to convey in this film. I kind of wish that it would have been a three-hour, or three-and-a-half-hour-long film, because there was just so much stuff that was just left off the screen that I felt was vital. First And most important, the part that was in the opening crawl, the message from Palpatine. The fact that I had to see that on a Fortnite game kind of pisses me off. Uh, You know, and and that's been an old argument of you shouldn't have to grab this guidebook or this thing and that thing just to understand the plot of a movie. And I feel like, you know, they kind of did fall onto that in a large way. I wish I had the guide to this book or the the book guide to this film because there's just so many details that I feel are critical to enjoying it. fan like myself right like I want to have things spelled out that's always been my favorite thing like a good mystery is good as long as you're going to spell it out down the road certain things just staying a mystery just drives me up a wall so that was my biggest issue going into this and you know my biggest hurdle was I had a chip on my shoulder apparently even though I tried desperately not to I like I told my wife I was nervous going into this because I wanted to love this film so much that it was going to make me appreciate the last Jedi more now it may down the road The more I watch it, the more things make sense. And then I go back to The Last Jedi. It may actually do that. But on my first viewing, I felt like it dropped the ball. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow. So if you're out there and you're like me where you want to desperately like it and and it didn't meet your expectations, maybe, just maybe, it will the more you watch it. Now, if you watched it and you absolutely hated it, I can understand why. And I think that that's like, you know, Star Wars fandom has always been a personal journey. So, you know, if you hated it, I'm not going to be one of those people telling you to keep it to yourself. I just don't be shouting it out everywhere and being a d-bag about it. I mean, it, you're entitled to your opinion, but you don't have to ruin someone else's good time just because it didn't live up to your expectations. And expectations have always been the devil in the detail for me. I've always tried to temper my expectations so I wouldn't have that. And I want to say that clearly I came in with some high expectations or high hopes, and it didn't quite meet all those hopes. But after seeing it the second time, and after talking with Riley and Bruce on the Star Wars Report and chatting with you on Facebook about things, I started to feel a little bit better about my position on things because I'm open to understanding what I didn't understand. And just in my second viewing alone, I picked up a lot more things that I totally missed on the first time. I'm like, how did I not get like, it's spelled out right in front of me. How did I miss this? And then I thought about, well, my wife did walk out for get popcorn and stuff like that and asked me if I wanted stuff and then asked me what she missed. So clearly when I was explaining that stuff, I missed some more things. Uh, so, you know, I, I, for me, it was a letdown, but I think that there's a lot of promise here. You know, as I said, visually, it was on top i mean if if i had to say from if i was to rank the films visually I would probably put this one at number one with Rogue One as my number two, just because they both—I felt like they both delivered so much visual eye candy. Uh, and there were some great moments in this film that absolutely had me fist pumping. There was also moments that just tore me up, uh, you know, and, and in a good way because there were characters in this that I had an emotional connection to. Of all things, from freaking Chuck Wendig's aftermath novels, I'm like the fact that I had a character reaction to a character in this film based off of those books. I'm like, I got to give Chuck props in that regard. As much as I hated his trilogy, there were characters in that that I absolutely loved. And on my second viewing, I actually feel like one of those characters, Nora Wexley especially, I think she was there and I just didn't realize that was her the whole time. And I'm like, oh, oh, good. She was there because that was the one thing that really bummed me is, you know, you've got these characters and stuff in the books that should have been there representated at some point. And they just weren't there. And I was just like, why? why? You have this perfect opportunity. You're slipping in all these new characters out of nowhere, a slug-like creature that we've never heard of before and all this stuff. But you couldn't bring in some of these other generals that have survived through the Empire falling and rising and becoming the First Order. So, I got caught up in my head. And not necessarily in a good way. Um, so I was excited when I found out that you really enjoyed it. Um, you know, And I knew that this was going to be an, an interesting conversation for us uh, because of the fact that for me it wasn't everything i'd hoped for um so for me i think that's that's where i'll step back i'll give you a second on any more spoilers you want before we jump into the meaty gritty nitty gritty of it all
0: (laughs) no i think i'm good let's go ahead into the spoiler stuff so we can get more in depth
1: all right we've analyzed their attack sir and there are spoilers should i have your ship standing by evacuate in our moment of triumph i think you
0: overestimate their chances
1: Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films.
0: All right. So uh, this definitely is a film that uh, tried to sort of take the upended status quo and give us, you know, surprise, you know, a new villain and whatnot. Um, So the big elephant in the room, the thing that the visual dictionary refuses to touch is, of course, the return of Palpatine, which essentially makes this the Skywalker and Palpatine saga in a sense, right? Because knowing now that Rey is basically the granddaughter of Palpatine uh, through his son, we now have a Palpatine through line starting in episode one, going all the way up through episode nine. Uh, though he doesn't appear in A New Hope, of course. And then we have uh, the through line going through of the Skywalker lineage in some form or another which now of course includes Rey essentially considering herself an adopted Skywalker and there's a great irony to me and I think you have probably run into this also that for a while there and I would say for probably since about late to mid 90s all the way up till well now Mm -hmm. so for quite a while there one of the big derisions used against the old legends continuity was this is so stupid The idea that the Empire keeps going or is able to sort of resurge back in different forms, which, of course, now we see with the First Order happening within canon, we've been Mm. seeing that since Force Awakens, uh, was that 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 stuff all just sort of cheapened all the sacrifices and the victory in Return of the Jedi, especially the Return of the Emperor. Right. With the, the emperor coming back in clone bodies with the transference of his you know, soul or whatever you want to call it through the force back yeah. in Dark Empire. And then, of course, Dark Empire two and Dark Empire three and the whole idea of, well, he can transfer his soul into another individual and continue living and so on and so on. And all of that got a lot of derision and was often used as a point of why one should not like legends, because it's so stupid. S.T.O.O.P.E.D. <laughs> stupid. Only now, we see this within canon as well. Only this time, we don't get much of an explanation. In this case, we've got the whole dark science, cloning, secrets only the Sith knew. Mm -hmm. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. That's the only answer we get. We probably could have gotten more answer in the visual dictionary, but they don't touch it. All Mm -hmm. we know is that Palpatine somehow survived. He apparently, presumably, I'm assuming... um, Let me check the... uh, the chronology here, uh, I'd have to go back and look at it specifically, but I know that, um, yeah, uh, now as secure as the Emperor, Sidious begins to develop or to delve deep into the dark side, including the hunt for immortality, that is post-revenge of the Sith. So he's telling the truth to Anakin at least about how, you know, uh, he doesn't actually know how to stop people from dying or, or to create life and control the midi-chlorians and that sort of thing. That was something Plagueis could do. And no, they've confirmed yet again Sidious did not create Anakin. That's not what it meant in the pages of Vader when they had that vision. It just meant he was manipulating the situation. Um, But he was telling the truth to Anakin that no, he couldn't, you know, create life or have immortality yet. But that was in Revenge of the Sith. And in the time since, he managed to presumably find that type of arcana, learn more, and develop the way to actually do that, which apparently has to do with I guess, channeling, it, it depends on if he's talking metaphorically or literally, does he actually have all the souls of all the old Sith contained within him, and that's what he's transferring, that along with himself, so it's essentially a constant, almost Highlander type thing, or right. is it the fact that it's sort of that he now has access through the Force to all of them the same way that Rey did for the Jedi, because A Thousand Generations live in You Now did not mean that she had the souls of all of these Jedi within her, but she was able to tap into them. So we've got that aspect.
1: That was a big question, too, because, like, when he said that they all live in me, I'm like, oh, my God, Bane was a genius. Like, the apprentice grows to a point where the apprentice is able to strike down the master, and the secret is the master takes over the apprentice, and they become a new being? Holy crap! Like, that was something I've been thinking
0: about. (laughs) Because if that's something that only one had mastered, Plagueis, prior to Palpatine, Bane didn't know how to do that. None of the Sith before that would have known how to do that. But somehow they would have been connected. But and anyway, so... We got that. We got the whole idea of the Final Order being what his forces are called. The Visual Dictionary gives us the name of the Exegol Sith Cult as the Sith Eternal. It's the only way they're willing to refer to it in the Visual Dictionary at all, by the way, is Sith Eternal, never by Palpatine specifically. Um, And all this building up that's going on. And the idea that Snoke was essentially a puppet. Now, this is creating some issues because some previous guides, I believe it was the Visual Guide to uh, uh, Last Jedi, talked about how Palpatine learned about Snoke in the unknown regions um, and became aware of him as part of this, you know, planning and the contingency and everything else. So it sort of begs the question, does that mean that he took over Snoke or controlled Snoke? And then when Snoke perhaps died at one point, replaced Snoke with a clone, did he kill Snoke and replace him with a clone in the first place? Was there ever an original Snoke? If not, what was the clone of, or are these right. just genetically manipulated? But the idea that that Snoke was never really the big bad Kind of, you know, makes it so that for some people it's more easy to accept what happened, of course, in Last Jedi when he was killed and the idea that, you know, we're seeing the rising up of Kylo Ren now as the Emperor so that now – is or would be Emperor – so that now mm. there's a conflict between him and this Emperor. But it's, it's a thing that needs more explanation, frankly. Yeah, yeah. But I think for me it, it's one of those things where I was willing to accept it primarily because we'd seen it happen in Legends before. Right. Um The fact that he was back was not shocking to me, except for the fact that they jumped into it so quickly that it's Mm -hmm. revealed in the crawl and we see him in the first minutes, which makes it idiotic that it's not in the visual dictionary. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that uh, the the fact that bugs bugs me about it is without an explanation and without any hints at his return in the previous two, it feels very abrupt that he's back. In the grand scheme of things, you'd be like, oh, now I understand once we you know, we get the novelization and everything. But it does feel abrupt, and I could see where this would be the dividing line for a lot of people. You mm. either buy this premise and accept it and run with it, or you think it's an idiotic idea or poorly executed to the point where you can't buy into it, and the rest of the film falls apart. The key right. to being able to enjoy it in a lot of ways seems to come down to Palpatine. And I
1: right. bought it,
0: though not sure – you know, how many others are are willing to set aside that disbelief because of Legends versus those who never read Legends, perhaps, and are seeing a returned Emperor, perhaps, for the first time? I think that's going to be a tougher pill to swallow.
1: Well, and, and it being the first seconds and even in the opening crawl, you're right. I mean, that's where I got hung up. I know enough from Legends that, you know, having this be the case isn't what threw me off. It was just the lack of the hows, the whys, and all that. When I watched it the second time, I think the one thing that really bothered me about it isn't that Palpatine came back. It's the fact that they let the Death Star 2 survive in some form or fashion. They shouldn't have had the Wayfinder on that. They should have left the the Death Star completely like we saw in Return of the Jedi blown to complete floats and there was nothing really there. You didn't see big chunks falling away. You saw just little itty-bitty particles, right? You walk When Ray's walking through the Death Star, you don't see the Stormtrooper armor burnt to a crisp or anything like that, so the walls weren't burnt. That was a big-ass explosion. You would have seen some fallout like that. That, I think, was the one aspect about it that I didn't like because then you got the Sith dagger lining up with the debris and all that stuff, and it just didn't quite work. Now, you take that away. What did you have in Legends? You had almost the same thing except for, you know, you had the uh, you had to go to Wayland, right, to find the cloning cylinders, and then oh, this is where he was doing all this, and he had the clones, and then on BIS he had the clone cylinders there, and I think if they'd have done it in a different way, if they would have had that Wayfinder in another location, I think that that would have worked a little bit better, because having the Death Star, it just raised way too many questions, it made the whole thing feel more like a shoved-in-your-face retcon, and I'm a fan of retcons, when they're done right and good, but this, and the way that disney lucasfilm has been doing things without giving you a lot of the backgrounds it's not a good way of doing a retcon and it made it harder to swallow Uh, i was able to swallow the aspect of palpatine being alive Uh, i didn't get the idea that it was his clone body per se when i first watched it because like you saw his fingers were all kind of like burn off or, or you saw the bones and stuff so i didn't quite understand that aspect of it but Having him have survived somehow and being there, that made sense. Having the little, you know, cylinder with the clone heads of Snoke was like, oh, okay. When he says I made him, it makes a little more sense. And I bend every voice in your body. Okay, Palpatine's clearly been pulling the threads this whole time. But I did stop and think, you know, it would have been nice back in The Force Awakens or even in The Last Jedi where they had something that made it seem like perhaps Sidious is alive and left it just really wide open and super vague. Right. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, it's been there in front of your face. If you just take race theme and you drop the eighth note out, it's Palpatine theme. Okay. I didn't catch that, but I mean, I guess that makes a little sense, but I don't know. I, I think you're right in the aspect of that is the biggest fundamental issue for a lot of people going into this. Either you're going to get on board with that or it's going to draw you out of it. And for me, there was a lot of that that I was drawn right out of on my first watch. Second watch wasn't so bad. I was able to figure it out more. And then I was just like, you know, it's this, it's this being on one of the forest moons or not forest moons, but one of the moons of Endor. And having the Death Star being there while it looked cool, don't get me wrong, that was pretty awesome. I just feel like it didn't line up with what we got originally in the uh Return of the Jedi. You know, we didn't see big chunks of the Death Star flying off, that would have made a lot more sense to have all you know this wreckage on another planet if we just saw that, but we didn't. We saw it blow up completely into little itty bitty specks because, as we know, Luke said that was it, that was the that was supposed to be it for him. Um, I know some people that had a big issue with Palpatine being back in Legends, and now with this, because they felt like it it reduces Anakin's role as the Chosen One. Uh, and you know, I I can see where they're coming from. Although at the same time, I feel like you know what he did was halted the the Empire enough that it was able to throw the chaos that they needed for things to be the way it was. What I had a hard time with was the Final Order. What's the point of the Final Order? The final order is the whole purpose of the first order. Why the frack would you have a second contingency plan on top of your second contingency plan that you already have? That made no sense to me. Plus the whole aspect of where City, or Snoke came into with all this. Because I would have loved to see Ray Sloan show up in any of these three films. Like that would have been a great moment or a reference of some form or fashion. She was the one that wrested control of the first order when it became the first order after it was the Empire and took them outside the galaxy. Although now I'm starting to think that Outside the Galaxy was really just in the unknown regions. I mean, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, they backpedaled really hard on the overall plot of things. If everything's canon, it sure as hell don't feel like it. And that was a bothersome part for me because it kept pulling me out.
0: Oh, yeah, we're definitely at the point now, especially with some of the things that they tried to give as little tiny, tiny, tiny tidbits of backstory for sequel trilogy stuff um, that now has been sort of overwritten at least a little bit. Um, but then again, we got that mm-hmm. with, you know, resistance and where the hell is Poe and how is Poe fitting into all this? At least the Visual Dictionary does give us the explanation that Poe was a spice runner while running away from his family for a little while and that he then returned and to straighten his ways and get forgiven, he needed to, some structure. So he joined the New Republic military and then eventually went to the resistance. And it wasn't just spice running to resistance, but that's certainly the way that Zori puts it. But right. and, you know, there, there's certain issues now that, you know, you can see the thing we already knew was that was going to happen, that if at any point a movie were to contradict a novel or comic or video game, etc., of course the movie's going to win. Which means, of course, you have different levels of canon within canon now the right. same way you did with Legends. It's just that now you're going to have to call them different things because you can't just attach George to one of them. Um, a couple things <laughs> that, that jump back to some, some of the stuff that you talked about there first and just as a as a side note here. May I say that with the whole Palpatine returning thing, I think it's more than just giving us context back to the previous two. I definitely think that Snoke kind of sucked, and I'm now glad that it turns out that there's a reason why he kind of sucked, right? Right. That he was just this big hologram dude. You're kind of like, who the hell is this guy in Force Awakens? Last Jedi, Snoke gets smoked, right? Um, (laughs) But... Looking back on it, it gives me personally more of a context overall, because if Palpatine knew how to do this before his death, he knew how to do it in the throne room during Return of the Jedi. So, strike me down with all of your hatred, and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. Takes a completely, completely new context with the idea that he might have been looking for Luke to cut him down so he can enter Luke's body,
1: a la Dark Empire. Well, plus Obi-Wan ruins ruin obi-wan ruins his original plan for anakin because now he's like well now you're ruined why would i want to take over your body
0: i don't want you for your body anymore and certainly not for your mind just you sand hater um <laughs> so um the thing that, that that struck me though is i don't have a problem with the whole indoor you know kef beer uh death star wreckage thing because you would figure that an explosion like that it's not going to actually atomize everything There's going to be wreckage of some kind, and we've seen the idea of wreckage before. The Graveyard of Alderaan, we've seen with Alderanian wreckage. We've seen what was left of the Death Star previously. What was left of the Death Star was checked out, for instance, even going as far back as 1991, 1992, with the Trioculus books uh, in Legends. So for me, the idea that there was wreckage, not a big thing. For me, it was the dagger. There are a few things in this film that make me scratch my head and kind of wish it was handled better or explained better. The dagger is one of them. Um, one, we've got people saying, it's an ancient Sith dagger. How does an ancient Sith dagger tell you the way to the Death Star that didn't exist yet? No, it's an ancient Sith language right. on a dagger. It is not an ancient dagger. Um, but the idea that you had uh, uh, Ochi of Bes'toon, who was sent by the Emperor, or sent by someone working for the contingency or the Emperor, whoever, to go and kidnap Rey... So, so I guess the timeline basically is that um, when Ray is six, son of Palpatine and his wife slash mate whatever, and little six-year-old Ray um, are on Jakku, or I guess they're on – uh guys there have to be or, – or, or they had gone to Jakku. Mm. Um, they – instead of just leaving Ray with somebody, like, here, let's leave her with somebody safe, it's, hey, let's sell her to Unkar Plutt. That. That, hey, that puts Obi-Wan's plan of we're going to take Luke to Tatooine and let him keep his surname. That puts that shit to shame. We're going to put him with <laughs> Vader's family. Yeah, because that's an easy place to hide. it. Thank goodness they don't have family reunions. No, the, the the son of Palpatine and his wife went all out and got Rey, you know, basically stuck in quasi-slavery, essentially. Um, which makes it all the more odd that if he, she was sold to Unkar of her leaving, doesn't that mean that it's not just the, that's mine, isn't just about the Falcon, it's about Rey, right? Um, But then I guess after leaving Ray, Ochi catches up to them and kills both of them. But the goal was that he was going to use the parents to find her and then take her back. And it seems like the plan was for the emperor to try to take her over or that maybe I guess she was a threat to him. Kind of like, you know, the son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. You know, Uh, if Anakin would have any offspring, they would be a threat to him and that whole thing. That he's sort of wanting now Kylo to be the body, but he needs to take out Ray as a threat. But then, as Kylo starts dipping toward the light side, as we see, we see Ray wind up being the one that he then wants to, you know, take over. Kind of like he would have wanted to, presumably when she was just a child. Um, so it's kind of that, that that question of motivation of how how is it that Palpatine is switching back and forth between, back and forth between he wants Ray brought to him, no, he wants her dead, no, he wants her to be him stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, But the dagger becomes that weird piece in the mix that he's got it to use, but he doesn't have the Wayfinder. You got two Wayfinders. One is on Mustafar. That's the one that Kylo gets in the first place. You got the one then that is on the Death Star. Presumably, the Emperor didn't need it anymore because he already knew the way. But it's kind of weird that instead of just giving the Wayfinder to Ochi, it's here's a knife, right? So in theory... Ochi, I guess maybe didn't know his way to Exegol, and he was supposed to basically get Ray, and then once he has her, then use the knife if he has a way to translate it, and use that to get the Wayfinder to get to Exegol. Maybe it's like a level of, of a, of a, of a sort of a firewall between the different stages of the plan, so that if he doesn't get Ray, then he's not given away the location of Exegol to Ochi. When- he also
1: lie. would know how to how to speak Sith because he was a devotee of this. I mean, he had the Sith emblem on there, which marked him as somebody. of the, So That's like him yeah, actually understanding it would yeah. make sense. That was a cool car.
0: So so I don't know. So the, just the, the idea of the knife and the idea that it has the little thing that pops out that very video game esque, very Indiana Jones esque. You know, you lined it up with the edge of the Death Star. It had to have been made after the wreckage. Mm-hmm. And there had to be a reason why he would get he would have the knife but not have the wayfinder. Unless maybe there were multiple people sent after Ray. He just got lucky. They all had the a knife with the thing that lets them, you know, find the wayfinder, but there's only one wayfinder. So that one we're going to leave there so that the one who actually gets Ray is able to get to it and go without having to get the one from Mustafar or whatever. Um, the, the right. knife thing seemed odd to me. I was fine with the idea that it felt like video game fetch quest type stuff because it felt like it still had the momentum. Right. Here's a clue. It's, it's Sherlock Holmes, right? Here's a clue that leads to the next clue that leads to the next clue that needs you to where you need to be. For me, that makes perfect sense. It's much better in that sense than Canto Bite in Last Jedi where it's here <laughs> you're going on this mission that's not going to wind up having payoff, just put you in peril. It fits what the characters are trying to do, but at the same time, what the heck? So right. Sith Dagger was a thing for me.
1: Um, See, and, and I'm was- over the opposite side of that work. Where- if they have take I mean think about it, right uh, again Chuck Winding established that Palpatine had strongholds on all sorts of planets some that were doing research some that were storing things uh, like Wayland right you could have had one of these and had it there instead of on the Death Star and the dagger could have lined up with the mountains that pointed to where the entrance to the mountain stronghold was and I think that would have made more sense for a, a majority of fans than what they did i mean by using and and i get why they did it that's the jj trap of well we got to have it ring really hard right like we got to have you got to know that this ties into return of the jedi so here's the death star too like and i think that was probably for me my issue of it well thank god that they wound up going to kef beer and they weren't
0: on the forest moon of endor because they may have had to find information about how to get to exegol from like a talking mountain or something the old (laughs) star comics um, so let me t- tell you what, let me hit the other things that I consider were gripes because they I really did enjoy the film, but there are a few gripes in that I want to be able to talk about the more positive things and the more interesting things as we go. Um the right. other quick gripes, uh, one, the question of, okay, if the emperor can basically send his soul into another body or something, then how do we know that what happens at the end is his final death? Unless his soul has to have a willing place to go. And by her destroying his body and everything else with it, when she wasn't willing to strike him down and let him enter her then the soul is gone otherwise theoretically he could still be out there so we have to kind of just accept that it's a fine the same thing with the other ships outside you know you know they're toast because the one with the transmitter's gone okay well what about the ground transmitter did somebody already take that out because that was going to be the first plan before they turned it off and are they talking like a slave circuit so that when that one ship that was supposed to guide them out is crashing the other ones start crashing too because it seems like you would still have to go and destroy all the rest of them. And the number we see is nothing compared to the number they quote, because they quoted is as, what, 10,000 or something? Um, mm-hmm. It's just this massive number, unless they're talking about the size of the cultists versus otherwise. So, a little bit of a question about that. Um, the red herrings with Chewie and 3PO, some people find that very frustrating. For me, uh, I saw the sec- the second transport when we first saw the shot of the two, so... Uh, that scene worked out fine for me, as did the rescue of Chewie, the 3PO thing. The idea that he, oh, he had a backup, so that's, you know, cheapening it. Well, it's cheapening it, but he's a machine with a memory. If we didn't have the idea of backups in Star Wars, that'd be stupid. <laughs> because even, you know, these days we have backups of, you know, stuff uh, on a computer. Um, the the frustration about the going back to sort of the Wayfinders, the idea that... Um, you know, Kylo has the Wayfinder with him at the beginning because he gets it on Mustafar, and it's in his modified TIE Whisper that looks like a TIE Interceptor. And then we see him in a TIE Whisper slash Interceptor on Pasana, which she does the flip slash on that loses its wing and crashes. Then we see Kylo coming out of that. Was the Wayfinder in that ship, and did he take it out with him, or was it not with him at that point? Because we see him in another TIE Whisper later, which is the one she manages to steal on Kef Beer take to 2 and then take to Exegol. So kind of the location of where was Kylo's Wayfinder uh, as far as which TIE Whisper was it on, did he just right. save it? That's just a minor thing. Surely I, if he crashed and it was on that one, of course he saved it whenever he saved that's, himself. Because
1: that's I was also thinking when Vader's helmet drops on the one planet and he realizes where she's at, I'm like, clearly he went back for that helmet, right? Like at this point, he's not just done with it all and is like, I don't need the helmet anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's see. And then you got... Um, the fact that when we finally
0: do get the Luke and Leia training sequence, which I guess is maybe right shortly after the Aftermath books, perhaps,
1: of um, because
0: of the timing that's given in the uh, – the timing that's given in the book, um, let's see, in the visual dictionary, has uh, Han and Leia getting married, Luke beginning training Leia in the ways of the Force, then the Battle of Jakku, uh, and then presumably right – uh, yeah, and then Leia ends her Jedi training on Aja and Upon seeing visions of the future and recognizing where the the galaxy needs are most, all that kind of stuff, which is fairly quick there. Um, But the fact that when we see Luke and Leia during the training flashback, that looks nothing like how Luke should look at that point. It looks like a new hope Luke um, rather than Jedi era Luke, you know, pre car crash Luke. Um, That got me a little bit. um, And I I guess the other things that stood out to me as far as negatives go um, would be the ones that really just, you know had me face me. um why did we need claude in the advertising for this film and why is it that when they when they're the one time we see claude doing it they're like hey you got that fixed yet he has no hands hmm. how is he supposed to be fixing things with that panel there is he is he telepathic or something um so why was he there and why did we need beaumont kin right uh dominic moynihan why did we need him given the fact that rose gets nothing to do right ray could have been both those any if there is anything that irks me about the film, it's not some of the things that were walked back or taken back from Last Jedi for the most part, because a lot of those to me made sense. The Snoke thing made sense to me. Luke having now sort of gotten more of a begrudging respect and like, yeah, yeah, I was an idiot. You know, I was wrong. I was here out of fear and making a joke about you know a Jedi's weapon needs more respect and all that kind of stuff. The vast mm-hmm. majority of the stuff that was was uh, taken from Last Jedi and sort of taken in a different direction, but still had the through line from last Jedi still worked for me because they didn't abandon the through line. They built on it, even if it was building in a different direction, but it, the Rose thing really pisses me off. Not because I loved Rose in last Jedi. I thought she was pretty good in last Jedi, but it's sort of a take or leave her character, um, depending on where she would go in the future. Right. And so she didn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. in the future here because she barely gets anything to do. And given that one of the most vocal, clear attacks on Last Jedi that we've seen over the last couple of years was all the racist hate towards Kelly Marie Tran and towards the idea of Rose Tico. The fact that her presence was minimized, even if this was completely, completely divorced from anything relating to fan reaction to Rose and it just fit the story, or J.J. forgot, or whatever, Mm -hmm. the very fact that she has such a marginalized role in this film feels like it was giving the racists what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself should not have been the case. JJ, Kathleen Kennedy, anybody involved, even some, you know, even the other actors should have raised a hand and said, Hey, maybe Rose should do something else so that we don't wind up having, you know, the, the, the neo-Nazis out there. We're not giving them fuel. Um, Mm -hmm. No, no. She still gets barely anything to do. And, I don't know what she should have done. Maybe she should have been in place of Beaumont Ken and used some kind of special translation thing that she gets from 3PO or something to listen to the message or whatever. Give her something to do instead of Beaumont Ken being there for exposition and at least have her play more of a role because otherwise you just let the racist win, you idiot. That was my biggest complaint about the right. entire film. Um, that and, and why is Luke's door that was an X-Wing wing suddenly <laughs> back
1: on the X-Wing uh, when it's being pulled out of the water? Just those things. Right. And I think those suffer from what I've been calling the Denning versus Travis effect, right? When they decided to let different directors do each film in the trilogy, and the way it ended up being, we see that disconnect from one film to the next where they just certain through lines weren't picked up because that other director wasn't thinking about it. Or, like the case of the door, minor things that Ryan Johnson was all like, hey, that'd be kind of fun. And JJ clearly missed it altogether. Um, you know, you think about with Denning and Travis during, what was it, Legacy of the Force or Fate of the Jedi, where the Mandalorian plot, right, Karen would just write it all up and then De- Denning would come in there and be like, and we're just going to pass it off. Like, do you remember Jaina using any of that Mandalorian training on Jason? No, because Denning had the last book and he had the last word. And I think that that was one of the mistakes that they made. They should have just gave this entire trilogy to JJ. Let one creative mind do the whole trilogy so it feels like a compressed story all by one person. I mean, that's one of the things about Star Wars that everyone loved is it was George's vision, right? I mean, one of the things I love was uh Let
0: me ask you then, though. Based on what I said earlier, though, about how J.J.'s vision may have been playing it very safe like The Force Awakens, should it have been J.J.? I understand the idea of make it just one person's vision so it's all consistent, but should it have been J.J. given how much we probably needed Last Jedi to throw some curveballs to get him to take some chances with Rise of Skywalker? Should J.J. have been the one or somebody else?
1: That is a good question, because one of my other complaints was the missed opportunity with sacrifices, and that's definitely something J.J. played safe. When we saw Chewie die, that would have been a great character moment for Rey. When we see C-3PO sacrifice himself for everybody and for the Resistance and the Rebellion, that would have been a powerful moment. But both of those, he played it safer than hell, and boop, oh, guess what? Neither one of them are dead. They're all back to the way they were. I thought that was a really crappy play. Can I
0: Can I throw something in with that, then? A question for you. As you're mm-hmm. as you're running here, when it comes to Chewbacca's like like three people again, I'd say, you know, they had memory. But at least he had that moment of having that reflection on what Poe had said and gets to make that choice for himself, not knowing if there's going to be a memory replacement because R2-D2's memory things are, you know, flawed or whatever. Fault. Faulty at but, best. It was, it was faulty. But thinking of Chewbacca here, the fact that it, that she gets that emotional jolt once she winds up firing off the force lightning by accident. That, I think, was an important clue as to her heritage, but also something that you know touches on some of the darkness in her, which we'll talk about later, because there's a really interesting article I want to bring up. Yes. Um, but one of the things I've brought up before is how you really needed Han to be able to forgive Ben in order for Ben Dimption to mm-hmm. be accepted by fans. If Chewie had actually been killed by Rey screwing up, Would she have been able to be the heroine of the story, or is that so unforgivable that the ending of the movie wouldn't have worked? That's what I want to know from you.
1: I think it would have worked because I think, you know, for one, Ray didn't put Chewie into the shuttle, right? Everything she was doing, she was trying to save him. And I think the lesson that would have been learned, I mean, maybe she did learn it, but I think it would have been really drove home, is if you slip up even a little bit, it's going to have dire consequences. And to have that be something that she would have to live with, that would be something that would also be another reason why she would not want to touch the dark side again, because it cost her someone that she cared dearly about. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this back and forth. Um, so, so I mean, I think for me that those sacrifices were were definitely something that I felt JJ played it safe. So. You know, to your your beginning question of would J.J. been the right one, I would probably have to lean more towards the no category. Uh, you know, a lot of the early critique with The Force Awakens was how it was too much like the other one. And granted, I mean, I, I did enjoy that, but I think that that was a line that J.J., treaded too close that a majority of the fandom I don't think would have been able to get on board with but I think that by having one director you wouldn't have had those opportunities where little things were missed because you'd have that one direction and that was one of the things that I both loved and hated about Lucas I mean I love the fact that he did not want to do anything after Return of the Jedi because that was the end of the story I was like oh sweet all my books are safe Uh, but But except (laughs) he's full
0: except he was full of crap I mean come on
1: Right, well, and and I guess said that's at something. One point,
0: say it was a twelve episode saga starting with a new hope, and then he said it was going to be nine, with a new hope as number four, and then it was oh, I only ever planned six, which is right horse crap. Right, you know, he may have decided it was going to be six, but he sure as hell never meant that it was always going to be six, because we have the quotes and interviews to prove it.
1: Right, so I mean, you know, I I think that having the one director would have helped better, but I don't know if JJ would have been the director. But then again, with with the backlash that the last Jedi got and how divisive that was for many fans I don't know if having JJ do all three would have hurt the saga any more or less than what having uh, RJ come in in the middle of it did for a lot of people so I mean I think there was a trade-off either way I I just hope that going forward like what they're doing with Ryan Johnson giving him his own trilogy I hope that that pays off I mean I I'm kind of like I don't really Want JJ or RJ to touch anything else, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, you know, in a new saga where we're not touching these characters, maybe he'll do something that I'll really enjoy because that aspect of what he had going on with Ray and and Ben, where you know the water came over in last. Jedi, and then when we see J.J. pick up on that with one of my favorite scenes where where Ray hands off Anakin and Luke's lightsaber to Ben when Ben's fighting the knights around. Like, that was one of my absolute favorite scenes. I was just besides myself. Um, and I love the fact that that Exegol looked a lot like Korriban. You had those big Sith statues and stuff. But I was really confused about, like, with the background characters, were those, you know, the chanting dark acolytes, were those supposed to be the souls of the Sith all trapped there? And when, when Sidious made his comment about you know, they all live in me, with, that made me think that the entire time Sidious was talking to Anakin, he knew because he had all of Plagueis' knowledge living within him. Which made me think back all the way back to Bane. Of you know, you think about the legend books that, that the way it ended with him and Zahana, and you're like, who lived? Did Zahana live or did Bane live? And it was open for debate if you read the book. But if you actually went and you ta- you know heard from the author, the author's like, no, no Bane's gone. Zahana lives. It makes you stop and think about, like, from that rule of two aspect, if they were, you know, training their apprentice to take over, right, why would you want to have them take over at all? Why would you be training your replacement unless you always knew that you were going to be living on all your information? information everything about you is going to live on in them you were in a sense kind of possessing them and in that moment you were creating something new right and he talks about ray being the new sith empress and and all she has to do is accept it so basically she would be getting a dose of super dark side with all that information of all the old sith lords and stuff so that made me really feel like sidious was again just lying to anakin which made me stop and think you know palpatine went full in on the seduction of anakin Right. That was like 12 dates and stuff before he even tried to get underneath the shirt. Whereas with Ray, he's like, we're doing this like, like, man, Sidious, pump the brakes a little. You got an inside here. She's family. You creep back off on the dark side stuff here, which, you know. And then there was the other aspect of, you know, well, who would have done the brown chicken, brown cow with Sidious? And then I'm like, like, dude, you know, he raped her. You know it. There's no way he was going whether he just forced LeBron automized the girl or whatever he full-on raped the lady to have that kid there's no way anyone willing i mean even when he was senator Sheeve, like it, i don't i don't see a lot of people lining up at senator Sheeve's door aside from people that just wanted some of the 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 benefits of having a political boyfriend i mean i mean you know i mean i'm sorry ian mcdermott but i mean you're you're not the best you're not just don Juan. you are not fabio like i I don't know, for me, like, the whole having kids aspect, that retcon, that just made cities even darker. It's like, oh my god, dude, he, he raped somebody and then had the kid, and oh, like, I, there's more story there, too. That's just creepy, though. Possibly. I mean, maybe he did. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to have
0: raped her, though it would fit the Sith aspect and the control aspect, definitely. Right. Um, Could have been one of those, you know, power imbalance relationships where he forced it, even though he didn't do it by, you know, actual force, or the force. Um, uh it could have just been you know that it's like so what do you want to do tonight and he goes do it okay well (laughs) fine um
1: oh my god i i I gotta ask you something though uh before we get to the positive things because this one's one that kind of lingering on me and i'm not quite understanding it so i'm hoping you can explain this to me in the beginning we watched kylo go seeking out palpatine right and he takes the wave finder and goes into that red nebula And I I can only assume that this red nebula must be a wormhole of sorts, right? Because when he comes out on the other side of the nebula, the nebula looks just like it did before he went into it. So it's like, why didn't you just fly around it? It's a clear star field with a blue planet. We get onto the blue planet. Clearly that blue planet must have been a nebula in itself because all the action that we later see with the final order is inside this planet nebula like crust and they can't figure up and down. Like, they can't all just, they're all lined up on a, on a same horizontal line, and they all can't just decide to just lift up because they're afraid they might crash into the planet that clearly is down below them. They can all take a shuttle and get down there. That made no sense to me. I was like, how does that work?
0: <laughs> well, I'm assuming it's some type of navigational issue, navigational anomaly. It screws with your sensors or whatever. You'd have to do it manually. Or it's just the storms. Maybe it's kind of like the Maw. Uh, or the uh, maelstrom in the sense that you have to actually go through the storms in a safe way as well to be able to get away. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that is somewhere within the visual dictionary. I just you know, haven't had a chance to delve as much into it as I would like. Um right. But, yeah, for me it was more just a matter of, you know, well, what happens once the signal's gone, that sort of thing. Um, to, to what you said, though, about the Emperor and the idea of him having a child, I find it interesting that we find out in the visual dictionary that Dio, the new droid, who mm. is – who is supposed to be acting as sort of like an abused droid, you know, the no thank you <laughs> on human uh-huh. contact at first, was in Ochi's hands as part of the uh, uh Badoon legacy, the ship, which we also saw back in Force Awakens. um. But it says that Ochi got Dio after killing the droidsmith that actually created Dio, which makes me wonder if the droidsmith in question was one of Rey's parents, um, mm. whether this was a droid that was just with Ochi or perhaps was also with, you know, Rey's parents and then wound up with her. But you would think that she would remember possibly dio if he was with the family so it's probably just an outside individual as a droid smith but the way that the visual dictionary decides to try to avoid saying things who knows um Mm. but regarding the idea of the parentage and everything um Mm. we did see this kind of thing happen in legends too though we had uh roganda ismarin as a concubine of Mm. the emperor and her having uh uh, Irek Ismarin, who winds up going and playing a role within you know, as far as as new Jedi Order went. Yeah. Um, yeah. and even in some of the earliest stories, we had Kin, the little Jedi Prince. Well, who the heck was he? He was the son of Kindalina and Triclops. And who is Triclops? The mm. son of Palpatine. Um, the 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 secret son of Palpatine. So the idea of him having, you know, had concubines or relationships or whatever, um, I don't think it necessarily assumes that there must have been rape because of just who he was and the power and whatnot, but it would have had to have basically been, seems to me, sort of a hold your nose kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I want to be close to the power and he is the emperor, but <laughs> oh my God, the wrinkles. He gets ready for a date by <laughs> by taking an iron to his face. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so the idea though, that that he had a child is not something that is entirely new. Now there's the idea of him coming back. I mean, these are things that were sort of borrowed otherwise um so looking at you know sort of big you know positive things and and whatnot i think the dyad thing was probably the the coolest thing that was carried over from last jedi um i liked it in last jedi the connection of minds and everything though Mm. the fact that snoke was apparently lying about you know it was i who connected your minds bullcrap you know unless you just helped make the bond manifest in that way because the bond would have already been there as the dyad um the, the way that they, they handle the fight...
1: The fact he's, that the like, first play- he's like the girlfriend. It's like, I introduced you to... Are you not going to give me credit? Jesus, Shirley! <laughs> no. um I like the fact that they were able
0: to use that within a lightsaber duel. We had a lightsaber duel where the two participants weren't even in the same location. Yeah. Right? They were able to have the fight. They were able to, you know, he... Ah, uh, he swings the lightsaber, or she does, and it breaks open the container full of the little red whatevers that wind up spreading out across the ground or the floor inside the ship when the pot was back on the planet. Um, when the you know the pedestal gets destroyed and the Vader mask falls, it falls, uh, into you know the village, uh, on a uh, Kijimi. Rather than yeah. necessarily falling inside. Just those type of things work great. And again, my favorite uh, musical cues and types of moments of the films have tended to be for the sequel trilogy, all related to the lightsaber, right? It's Ray getting the saber when Kylo couldn't. It's um, the saber cutting through Snoke and then Ray grabbing it from the air. And now, you know, the favorite lightsaber moment or one of the favorite moments is going to have to be, as you were saying, you know, the whole putting it behind her head. And then he has it and does the whole little uh, Kind of thing at the the Knights of Ren. Not sure the movement would have been the 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 moment would have been anywhere near as cool if he hadn't done the whole uh kind of thing at the <laughs> Knights of Ren. Who by the way kind of suck, but we're getting more of their background. They're sort of like his Praetorian Guard. You know, um, they were given to him by Snoke apparently to be his guard after a trial, which I guess we're gonna see in the comics or something. So it's not like he was with them before. Um, They apparently weren't former Jedi students. They have a little bit of Force Attunement, so they're a little bit closer to what you would think of um, them looking for. in Inquisitors back in the day, sort of stunted growth and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But that whole dyad thing worked really well, gave us more explanation, got really beefed up here. It's one of the things I think that would not have been done if it hadn't been for Last Jedi, and that being introduced by Ryan Johnson. You would not have seen J.J. introducing that. Right. Uh, But with that whole aspect of the dyad, it's interesting because there's this line – back in Last Jedi, about the idea of what Snoke thinks he's seeing with these two. You know, darkness rises, which he's assuming is Kylo, and light to meet it. Well, it can't just be darkness rises and light to meet it if Palpatine's still out there, because they're not the only two Force users around. Um, And Luke is still, you know, alive at the time. So, uh, darkness rises, light to meet it, there's been an awakening and all that kind of stuff, fine. But... It's interesting, a take that came from a website called Clashing Sabers or a blog called Clashing Sabers, which suggests something that I find very interesting and possibly you know, true as an interpretation, which is that it wasn't that Kylo was the darkness rising and that Rey was the light to meet it. It mm-hmm. was that Kylo is the light, Rey is the dark, because every time we see Rey fight, she gets more angry than any Jedi we, I think, have ever seen Trying to actually, you know, fight and kill an enemy. She Even back to the lightsaber duel in The Force Awakens, she gets pissed. Mm -hmm. You've got her firing off the blaster and just lit that face, you know, shooting the blaster like crazy back in The Force Awakens. Um, Being willing to to possibly strike down Luke to be able to get answers because she was so angry and everything. The idea that as she is rising and she is having these dark moments and whatnot that there's been, and right around the same time that she's rising, here's Ben starting to feel the tug of the light again. Yeah. um, And all that sort of thing. And the idea that in the end, he's the one that's from the light side bloodline of the Skywalker. She's the one who comes from the Palpatine bloodline and that she has to basically overcome her bloodline. He he has to overcome sort of what he wants and go with his bloodline in essence to be the light side instead of the dark side in that sense um, to redeem himself. But at the same time, she is someone who's going to have to overcome the idea of blood, just as Luke says about how, you know, some things are stronger than blood and so on, um, so that she can then be someone to represent the light. Um, there's It's an interesting dynamic, the way that they play these two off of each other, the idea that they are so powerful. These are basically people without someone to formally train them in the really big stuff, or they're delving into secrets we hadn't heard of before, either through Snoke which must have come through Palpatine or through the Jedi texts. So they're using abilities we haven't usually seen on screen. Like Rey is friggin', you know, doing almost Vader things, taking blaster bolts, but then firing them back with her hand and deflecting them with her hand uh, mm. in a later battle. Then you know, all the force healing and everything. Um, things we might expect from reading legends and reading canon over the years, but not necessarily that regular moviegoers are going to expect. Um, but the Dyad thing was fantastic and the way that they connected. Um the fact that the Raylo thing actually turned out to to be somewhat true. You could sort of get a sense of almost a romantic connection of, oh, my God, this is the only person who understands me in the last right. one. And I, I love appreciated fact, that. I love the fact that she's able to say, you know, I would have taken your hand. Ben's hand, not Kylo's. Yeah. yeah. Ben, and drawing that distinction, just like the Anakin Vader distinction, and that it's it's Han in the memory or force vision, but not a ghost. Being able to say, you know, Kylo Ren is dead. My son is not dead, you know. And, you know, you can't. I love, you know, the, the choked up, I want to say I love you, but he can't. You know, I know. Um, all of those things made for a great human interaction between those two to give us the ending where he's able to make that final sacrifice um, in order to bring her back. Uh, with the idea being that either Leia reaching out to distract him and possibly induce the the Han Force vision. Um mm-hmm. Luke doing the projecting back in Last Jedi or Ben, you know, using the force to actually transmit his life energy and bring Rey back from the dead, not just from um, an injury, that those things are so powerful that they exact a toll that will lead to your own death. All that stuff worked great for me, but it all comes back in a large way to the whole Dyad thing that owes itself to Last Jedi. So those who hated Last Jedi and loved this film, I don't know what to tell you. But right. this film would not be when it was without The Last Jedi, and that is one of the
1: major instances of why. Well, I just want to say, first off, thank you, because one of the things I absolutely hated was was Ben dying, right? I, I, as soon as he heals Ray, he falls over. I'm like, I, I. in fact, my second watching, I'm like, oh, my God, he got all turned on by that. And all the blood just went from his heart and he died. Oh, my God. Uh, of course, I was being super cynical in that moment. But. What you just said about the way that that worked with Ray being the dark and Ben being the light, I'll say you're right, but I'll also say you're wrong because it's both – Ben was the one that was originally going from light into darkness, and he was the dark that rose, and Ray ends up rising to meet it. And But because they're the dyad, they're both two halves of the same whole, that when one goes the other direction, the other one starts shifting back and forth, which means that Ben had to have died. Because for the only way to have had one of those dyads to live is you would either have the embodiment of light corrupted by darkness, or you would have the embodiment of darkness brought to light. And that's basically what we got with Ray. And I love the fact that it was only because Ben sacrificed himself that that was able to happen. Uh, with Ben being redeemed, the redemption, as it was, that was definitely one of my favorite parts. Um you touched on the Han solo being a force ghost not being a force ghost. The one thing about that that immediately jumped to my mind was the conversation that Jason solo had. I want to say it was in destiny's way it could have been a traitor. Uh when he's in the underworld of Coruscant now renamed Yuzintar named after the crutch of the uh the crutch of life or whatever it was from the Vong not their homeworld as many people like to mistakenly call it. Uh Anakin's talking to to Jason and Jason says you're not actually here. You're you know the, the projection of this creature that's trying to eat me and anakin goes well maybe i'm using that creature and its abilities to get through to you and that was what i was thinking of when han's sitting there talking like you know it's it's clearly not the the forest ghost in a traditional sense of it's got the the beam around itself you know it definitely feels like it's a memory the memory that they talk about is living on inside han but when i was watching it the second time though han the memory references leia's death and gives ben some profound information about what's going to happen with the resistance and her legacy. And that's something that a memory wouldn't have had. So clearly Leia, you know, is either in the driver's seat of this memory or her influence is heavily involved there or allows Han's personality to rise up into this force projection of some form or fashion, whether it's just a projection of a memory in his mind for Ben, it's real. You know, it's just as real as when he's standing on the planet below and raised up in his bedroom and he's just looking across and just sees her in the field. He doesn't recognize that she's in a different location. She's there with him. And that's what's going on with Ben and his father. And so for me, that moment, I, I wasn't quite enjoying it as much on my first vision. But on the second vision, I was able to interpret it in a different way that made me really appreciate that moment because I really felt like it was just the same memory at first. And that when Han had that moment in the Force awakeness, uh, Awakens, he thought that that was this moment, that he was going to bring Ben back to the light. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And yet, through the memory, it did. And that same conversation. But there was a moment where it goes from being memory to a new conversation. So, I mean, it clearly had to be more than just a memory. It could be both. Just as, like you said, with the dyad, you know, it, it's it's both. It's... In so many ways, it brings me back to Vizier when she's all like, there is no dark side. And she tries to explain this all to Jason. Yet at the end of it all, there is a dark side. It's just not the same dark side that Jason thought it was. And that was to me, I mean, that was a profound moment of some forceful phil- uh, philosophy that we just, it's not there and yet right in your face. And I just absolutely love that. I gobbled it up more on the second time and I'm looking forward to watching it again and again and again. I mean, that's the one thing like I might not have enjoyed the movie when I came out of it on the theater, but I'm enjoying watching it each time because I'm picking up new things on it. And unlike what I had happened with the last Jedi, the more I picked it, the more I picked it apart. This one, I feel like the more I'm picking up pieces and I'm putting the puzzle together and I'm understanding what the picture's supposed to be. And I love that aspect about it. Um, you know, w- when you talked about the the hey, hey of uh, what's his butt, that was one of those convenient moments because I didn't realize when I watched it the first time that one of the first Death Star moments that we see the weapon used on was on the planet of Kamenji. And I'm like, wait, how did that one Star Destroyer get out to be there? And then those two getting off the planet—how convenient was that for the fans, you know, watching the battle, and for Finn, or I mean, not Finn but Poe, to see that moment? I was like, oh! But there was also a great moment on that planet where they, when they introduced the fact that Poe had that history of being the the spice spice runner, and. You know, Zori talks about him being the resistance and you'd mentioned, you know, people had an issue with that. I did not really have an issue with that because I'm figuring, you know, for her, she's got no background on where he went. All she knows is that he's now with the resistance. So clearly she left him to go join the resistance. So I thought that was kind of cool. But when Finn is like, you were a Spice Runner? And he's like, you were a Stormtrooper? And then Ray's like, you were a Spice Runner? And he's like, you were a scavenger? We could do this all day. That was my favorite parts when it came to the dialogue was Finn. And it was Poe, and and the cat. And anytime they were talking to anyone, I mean, you had Poe and Ray talking about the Falcon and BB-8 and who destroyed what, and you know, all oh, that man's in And well, I'm like, Oh, are they going to go there with the, uh, you know, love interest? And then there's the aspect of Finn wanting to tell Ray something, right? I I. Later JJ goes forward and says it's that he's force sensitive. And at first I was like, I don't buy that. Then on the rewatch, the I buy it 100%. The only time I don't buy it is when they're sinking in the sand. He's like, "Wait, I got something to tell you." That I felt like it's like more like I'm about to die and I got to tell you I got feelings for you, right? That's the only time. Every other part when you listen to when he's talking to Janna and everything, he's talking about the force and everything about what he's doing Clearly, I was able to see him as a Force user, and I'm looking forward to if they eventually tell more stories and stuff of him being part of Ray's first class and learning more about the ways of the Force and embracing that heritage. I love the fact that we see Ray's opening, and she is training under Leia. What I didn't like is that Resistance Reborn didn't pick up on that thread. In that book... Ray is just a glorified bodyguard the entire time. They could have established the training in that with just a quick, you know, it's time that I train you properly. They could have just done a simple line like that and it would have made so much more sense and made Ray's characterization in that book been more, had more impact uh, but I absolutely love the fact that that was a progression of Ray's character. Her training was going to be completed with Leia, uh, just like Luke, who was served under two different Jedi Masters and stuff and got the, the training. And think about all the stuff that Leia has to bring to the table, because we now know that she did finish her Jedi training, plus all of her negotiation skills from being a politician and the, the seedy side of that. I mean, there's a dark side to politicians. <laughs> and Leia has waged that fight since she was six years old, baby. Exactly. You got
0: Leia out there using the Force going, there was no obstruction. There was no collusion. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I will say, though, I I think – I do think there's an interpretation thing there. They talk about Leia's last day of Jedi training. I don't Mm -hmm. think that means she was fully trained. It means that that was the day she put down the saber and said, the end of my training is going to eventually lead to my son's death in some way. This lightsaber will be picked up by someone who will continue my path, but I'm done So she got some force training, enough to explain away, for instance, the Mary Poppins thing, as people call it um, back in Last Jedi, Mm -hmm. uh, and to be able to train Rey in some things. But Rey also has the Jedi text. Seems like Leia wasn't like a fully trained Jedi in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that the whole, you know, uh, I have something to tell you as they were falling into the pit did seem like it probably should be, you know, I love you. At the same time, that's another kick in the pants, kick in the seat, I guess, uh, to Rose. Because we get no sense in this at all that there's anything romantic between Rose and Finn anymore at all. Although then again back in Last Jedi it seemed more coming from her end than his end necessarily. He still seemed like he had that focus on Ray. Um, I do think that as he's falling into the sand, it sort of makes sense with the whole idea of, you know, you know, I'm you know, I can feel the force too, or I'm feeling the force now, or whatever he was trying to tell her. If it's in the context of Ray I I've been meaning to tell you, but I've never got a chance to tell you you're not alone. Mm-hmm. If that's what the message is, it still fits in that whole sort of heartfelt thing that you would want to tell her before death, as opposed to just, Hey, I think I can feel the force too. You know, is it kind of like a tingle? Is that, right. is it kind of like when your foot falls asleep? Um, I can that. And I do think that you're right. The banter between the characters was much, much improved. And the fact that they even got scenes together at all, to sort of be the new big three, as you call them. Um, you know everything from the uh, you know just the way they play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses as they go. The bit on Kajimi, as you mentioned, um, uh, I particularly like. You know when when he and Ray are going back and for back and forth early on and about BB-8. You know, you know what's left of him's not on fire. You know, right? And right. Like, you know what you are. You're difficult. You're a difficult man, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the fact that he is frustrated that she's their best fighter and she's their training instead of out there makes sense. Um, I do think this continued, and I guess has solidified what we saw with Finn, particularly in Force Awakens, but a little bit in Last Jedi. Finn is like the doorway into modern slang into Star Wars, or modern way of speaking into Star Wars. It's kind of like, you know, the prequels are all very formal, except without these and thous, but they all speak very formally. And then you get to the Original trilogy, and there's some formality and some not with characters like Han. And then now you get the mm-hmm. sequel trilogy where they talk more like sort of, you know, modern day Americans. Um, but for instance, you know, it's the whole, you know, you're know, mad or angry, whatever. Me? No, him. Always. Or however he says it. Yeah. You know. that was um, good. Uh, or always. I, I can't quite do it without my voice cracking. Um, <laughs> and the fact, you know, you know, I'm not Leia. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Those types of phrases are the kind of things you would think of in a modern societal context, but not necessarily in a Star Wars dialogue con- context. If that context was original trilogy, pre-trilogy. even though you know, you know, I'm in charge, Fasma. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. You know, calm down. You know, um, you know, you know, you know, tone it down or turn it down or whatever. Finn has always sort of had the dialogue that sort of felt like it didn't necessarily fit Star Wars if we were talking about the previous two trilogies. Whereas now he's done it enough across this trilogy that it sort of just sort of blends in and it's, that's just a way of speaking in the galaxy far, far away. Um, but I found that that actually also helped the banter as well because we could buy some of the, you know, the the cracks back and forth. And he's usually the one who's able to sort of put it in more of a, you know, a modern audience type context there. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Babu Frick and uh, – and Zori Bliss and the whole, you know, leaving Kajimi, that was very convenient. I will agree. It was also very convenient. She had the little pass thing to be able to let them onto the Star Destroyer. But thankfully, as soon as they got there, they're under attack. It's not like they're just like, oh, we'll just let them roam. It's okay. Um, it wasn't like an all-access pass or anything like that. Uh, I thought that, you know, Babu Frick was awesome. I like him more than Baby Yoda now. I know. My wife and I are <laughs> back and forth on that a bit. Like, yeah, hey! <laughs> you know. Um, Zori Bliss, I thought, was well-used for what she did, but did we really need to hire a big-name actress for that role if all we're ever going to see is her eyes? Right. Uh, it could have been someone else, or it could have been someone else in the suit and the voice, kind of like with Mandalorian where uh, Pascal's doing the voice for all of it, but most of the time it's not even him in the armor. It's some other dude walking around in the armor that they can pay less. Um, so I like those characters to a degree and, and learning a little bit more. I like the, the variation of that planet being quite a bit different than the others – um, you mentioned the whole thing with um Leia and the training and everything and her role. That's another big thing with this film is how they were able to use Leia. Now, granted, they said they weren't going to CG Leia, uh, which they sort of you know stuck with and sort of didn't. Right? They CG'd Leia young, mm-hmm. which they would have had to do anyway, but they didn't seem to CG older Leia except maybe yeah. you, know, you know messing with her you know clothing or something like that to make it quite work. Um, for what they had it's funny because i think i've seen deleted scenes with some of this dialogue in it you know like don't tell me what it feels like tell me what it is or whatever it is so in that sense some of it sort of took me out a little bit but for what they had and what they were able to do with it i think it worked fairly well um and you know there are moments where you can tell like she was probably talking to a droid because she was looking down which is why ray has to begin the sequence you know sitting down looking at something and then she stands up for the rest of the sequence because leia is looking at someone that's about her eye line um But for what they did, for what they had, um, I think that worked pretty well. I think it would have been weird not to have her there. And she was able to play a pretty important role overall without them having to come up with some way to add, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, hackneyed explanations that had to go over everything to try to make Leia in this film work. They were able to make it work pretty well with what they had in the old dailies. Um, Did you think it worked as well? And what do you think as far as – the de-aging scene for the training and whether or not that worked.
1: So so one of the first thoughts I had was, you know, you watch Leia give Ray the lightsaber or you watch Ray give Leia the lightsaber. Then you watch Leia give it back. And I'm just like, oh, well, clearly there's the three different angles they used on that one shot. Like, like I felt like we didn't necessarily need that when I first watched it, but watching it on the second time, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes a little more sense. When it comes to the de-aging aspect, that I think was probably one of my favorite scenes. Um, and I appreciated that because that was one of the things I was worried that they weren't going to do, that they weren't going to do anything like that. And it's also one of those, on a personal note, one of those, haha, middle finger to the other fans because Star Wars don't do flashbacks. Yes, this trilogy has proved flashbacks in Star Wars exist, not just in the cartoon TV shows. So yay, we got some opportunities for some great storytelling later. Uh, <laughs> but there was one thing like right after those scenes when uh, Ray gets the lightsaber back and they're about to go on their mission, Ray's like standing looking into the forest or looking at a cliff with some vines and stuff on it and like zoning out and poe comes up behind her and it's like you know what's going on and she's just like oh nothing and turns around. i'm like i'm like jj what the hell was that scene about like what was what am, what am i supposed to pick up from that like there was nothing going on so that part was a little confusing but i i really think with leia they did a good job when i watched it the second time i understood more about what was going on right before she passed away the first time i had no clue it was just like what she just croaked she just croaked. I didn't catch at all the connection between Ray and Ren and or uh, Leia and Ren and him coming back as Ben. Like I miss that at all. I mean, I caught Maz Kanata saying something about it, but I didn't realize that that's what was going on. So clearly, I think that was when my wife came back. I was like, "What did I miss?" And I'm just like, "What about this?" Uh, but so when I watched it the second time, I was like, "Okay, okay, that makes more sense." And then I, I caught the dialogue on Han changing. So I'm like, okay, clearly that's Leia having an effect on things. So that makes a little more sense. Okay, all right, I'm down. I can get that. Um, but when I first watched it the whole time, I kept thinking, and I've thought this, you know, from the moment Carrie Fisher passed away is what were they going to do? You know, what was the role Leia was going to have? And I say that as a huge fan of what Leia became in legends, you know, in the new Jedi order, my favorite series, she dished politics and took up the mantle of being a Jedi and became a Jedi. And from there on out, she was Jedi Organa Solo. And I absolutely loved that incarnation of the character so i was really looking forward to seeing that in the big screen and then you know the force awakens came out and they didn't automatically have her being a jedi and i was like oh man what a missed opportunity and then you know the last jedi they were hinting about you know she's going to have a big role in the next film and it's going to be her being a badass and then she passed away and it was just that felt like a lot of the air for my sale for these films was deflated because something I was really looking forward to seeing was not going to get to happen, especially when they're like, we're not going to see CGI. I was immediately like, well, think about Count Dooku, right? Like, you know, the actor wasn't doing, they dubbed his head on top of another person's body and they got away with a lot of stuff. Like they could do so many things with Leia and do it like that. And, you know, and, and so I, I'm still, I'm looking forward to the book that maybe Pablo Hidalgo will do down the road where it's like, you know, the Leia that could have been or something like that. Because I... I think that that would have been a phenomenal tale in and of itself. That said, I think JJ did a very good job of doing respect to the actress, respect to the actress's family, respect to the story, and respect to the plot. Um, you know I mean I feel like Leia's story wasn't one that there were a bunch of big plot holes that I felt like we needed to have this information to know and to follow along. I felt like that was really well done and well executed, especially with his hands being as tied as they were um, again the the flashback scene them using a CGI Leia. I I did catch that they looked a little young but I was willing to forgive that because that was just so awesome to see that they had that moment brother and sister because those were the moments that I felt like JJ and the story robbed us of in The Force Awakens. We never got to see Han and Leia and, and Luke together we never got to see those moments of them you know ha- having good happy memories um, and that's something that I will always cherish in Legends I mean Legends wasn't always the best for them you know they had some horrible moments lost some children and stuff some some tragedy there as well but there were moments where they had family Thanksgiving dinners and things like that where they all came together there were moments where I got to see them being a family that I just I'll never get to see in the saga unless they go back and they they write some books and comics and filled that gap in and so far with what they filled in in the backstory, it hasn't been that it hasn't been happy moment it's, it's been Han basically reverting to a D-bag status and leaving his wife and his kids because he can't handle being an adult and that's not the Han Solo I have grown to love I mean I had always said I loved Han in canon most of all and now I'm like well no Han in Legends is a, is a funner Han uh, they've they've adjusted Han enough that he's, he's different he's more just I don't know he's just not the same Han so I think that JJ did a good job. Kathleen Kennedy, they they made the right call in what they did with what they had. And I think that that really worked. Whereas some of the other things may not have worked. A lot of things felt very convenient, like Lando conveniently being where they needed him to be at the first place. And then Lando conveniently being there when Poe's talking to Leia's corpse about, I don't know how to do this. You're gone. Like when Poe got back with Finn after that mission, right? That's one of the moments that I've cried every time I've seen it. When he finds out she's gone, right? In the books, all he wants to do is he wants to be there to protect her. And yet he's got this responsibility to also help lead and to help her in that regard. And for him to come back and her to pass away, that was a hard moment. And then when Chewie does his cry out and drops to his knee and cries out, that just killed me. Uh, I mean, in that regard, that one scene alone, Chewie living needed to happen. You know, I really felt like you know his his death would have served Ray's plot more. That impact on the crowd, the audience, and the people watching it had to have been there and in, in, in one way I was I was kind of upset because I felt like he didn't cry like that when Han died like I felt like he was like really trying to hold it together for everybody in that one I'm like you should have just let it go man just embrace those emotions because we needed to cry with you and I didn't know I needed that cry until it was happening and you know when I watched it the second time I was I was just sobbing even more so um some you know I've always been a fan of a good character death and while I don't necessarily feel like her death in this saga was a good one. I felt like the reaction that Chewie had made it work in a way that that puts it up there that I can appreciate it a hell of a lot more. Because, you know, in that regard, Carrie Fisher's passing away, it was like, are they going to kill off the character, or are they going to have her do like they did with uh, Brian on uh, Fast and the Furious, where the character lives, and even though it's contrary to everything about the character, he's going to go off and live a happy life now, and we're never going to see him again. Um, So, I mean, you had a hard call going into that. Yeah, I think that with Chewie having that reaction, that was very
0: powerful. Um, at the same time, you know, he didn't quite have that kind of reaction with Han, but maybe he just did in private. Because remember, when he came back from Han dying, he just walks and Leia hugs Ray, the girl she's never met. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're like, wait, what? I mean, I guess through the Force, the idea is, right. you know, they kind of had that ex- that shared experience that so they're going to comfort each other. But it's kind of like, like, wait, why are you hugging? Or maybe Chewie just knows right. that if he doesn't, you know, be all, if he's not all dramatic – at a death nobody's gonna actually hug him
1: no what it was it, it was one of those backstory things where they've had a past death and chewie had to wave her off in the past and he's like look if i ever give you this little hand, hand side to side thing just just leave me alone he gets off the ship he gives it the little hand side to side and she's like all right come here ray <laughs> yeah sure sure that works um
0: so you mentioned lando and of course he's our big returner who manages to survive through everything um, mm-hmm. Lando coming back was welcome. I think this actually felt like it was Lando. This was not Billy D. Williams just coming in and, you know, phoning it in. This really felt right. like this was Lando. Um, right. I think he played well, uh, or sorry, say Landonis Balthazar Calrissian. Okay, whatever. Um, I wonder if that's his original name or if that is a name that he has adopted for himself over the years. Um, I do feel like Lando was used well. He probably should have been seen more reacting to Leia's death. Um, right. we have Lando here. Uh, delivering some wisdom, which was good, uh, enjoying being back in the fight, which was cool. He did sort of conveniently appear, but it makes sense because it's tied into Ochi having been there um, mm. and him being there with Luke, which is also kind of the same thing. I was like, oh, it's so convenient that they fell into the pit next to the ship and there's the body, but that's the point. It was by the ship and they were going right. to the ship. That's why they were there.
1: That one um, was less convenient than the fact that the ship was still there after all these years. Out and in nobody the picked it apart, of-
0: yeah right? Especially, thank you know, God, this, this, this is, on that planet. <laughs> yeah, this is Pasana, not Tatooine or Jakku, dang it, this is a desert planet without a bunch of scavengers. Um, but I think that with Lando, um, there were, two things stood out to me with him, um, mm-hmm. that they're kind of like head shakers. One is, you know, Poe's like, I'm sorry, I thought we could do it, but there's just too many of them. And he's like, but there's more of us when the ships come in, which is a great moment until you realize, wait, he wasn't there for the conversation between Poe and Zori when she said, remember, there's more of us or whatever. However, it is that she says it, um, right. uh, whatever it was that sparked that that would cause, you know, there are more of us to be a callback to earlier in the film. So and did he have a conversation with, that, with Zori?
1: Dude.
0: Yeah, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, although that did to me sort of jump out because right after um, – uh, I guess it was um gosh um uh, it's right after nine eleven I guess there was a thing that the uh, political commentator Glenn Beck did as part of the nine twelve project and whatnot and the idea of you know there are those who want to tear us apart and there are those who want to build each other up and 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 you know patriotic towards the country blah blah blah. and one of the comments was, I forget the context of it. I remember at the time it was an interesting concept, which was, you know it's not that we are surrounded by those who want to tear us down mm-hmm. we surround them there are more of us than there are of them we just have to recognize and realize that those who want good there are more of us that that see the good in each other than those who don't um, right. and it kind of felt like the same type of moment you know there are more of us there are more of us and all the ships coming in we get to see you know, all the cool stuff like we get to see, you know, some background ships we've seen before we get to see the ghost and maybe Harris is there or maybe Jason Sedula is there. And we don't know, but it's all cool and all exciting. And that worked. Possibly then, even the
1: Razor Crest.
0: Right. Possibly. And then it's all over. And he's just kind of sitting and chilling. Notice Rose, I don't think, ever gets to hug Finn. Does Rose ever show up in the celebration? No, freaking Hamilton shows up. But Miranda shows up in... The ending. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda shows up, but does Rose get to like hug anybody or get excited or hug Finn or anything? Are they still a thing? We don't know. But there's Lando sitting there, and Janna sits next to him, and I can ex- appreciate that because that that gives a Star Wars name to another member of our family, my sister-in-law. Um, but we have Janna, and you're know, the whole. You know where are you from? It, he says Gold System. Apparently not Gauls System. They said Gauls Gold System, which apparently is where wow. Socorro is because that's where he's from. Um, uh, where are you from? I don't know. Well, let's find out. Now, some people see that as him flirting. I saw it more of just an older guy who's like, "I'm back in the fight now. I'm back into adventures. Let's right. do this. Let's keep adventuring. I don't want to settle down again. Let's do it. Let's go. You're my comrade. Let's go on this new discovery together. Not he's hitting on someone way, 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 way younger than he is. But mm. what apparently is on the cutting roof floor is that Jana was supposed to be Lando's daughter. The yeah, reason I had a why he wished about that. Yeah, the reason why he was supposed to have stayed on Pasana was something to do with how in the process of searching for Ochi or something, like, that's where his – maybe he had stayed there for some and that's where his daughter was taken from. So now he's kind of like a reverse Ray. He's the parent waiting for a clue for when his daughter comes back there or something. Like, we got a little bit of Janna's background, and we got Lando back, and we got that character moment, but apparently the rest got left on the cutting room floor and may or may not ever be picked up again, so it may or may not even be true – canonically right. anymore or going to eventually become true canonically but the fact that that is something that at least was in the cards that got left out seems weird to me why still give them that character moment at the end if they're not going to explore it unless that is to send them off on an adventure that'll be explored in books and comics and then they come to that realization and then we're like oh and now we got more context for the movie even if we didn't know about the deleted scenes or the cut stuff blah 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 um i think Lando coming back worked great but i think the Jana thing was a little bit Odd and awkward because of what seems to have been left out. Um, I would also say that it's a little bit frustrating. We had Zori Bliss um, as a former interest, apparently, for Poe. Mm. We had Janna, who for some reason people were thinking were, was going to become some kind of interest for Finn or something. Oh, because they happen to it. have stuff in common. Yeah. But one of the big entertainment websites posted a review. It may have been Variety. I'm not sure if I'm correct on that or not. But it was one of the ones where, like, you see it and you know this, or maybe it was Empire, this is a a, a magazine or whatever that's going to have this website with these reviews, and these are the reviews you trust as the major critical reviews of a film. And they referred to the introduction of two characters, who could only have been Janna and Zori, as being introduced to, quote, no homo Poe and Finn, to make sure it was supposedly expressly clear that Poe and Finn did not have any romantic attachment whatsoever after all the— you know, the rumors and stuff and the uh, the fantasizing in some cases, uh, in some parts of fandom, since the introduction of those two and The Force Awakens and whatnot. Um, I found, you know, it it takes away from the characters for that to have been the argument that was being made. But they don't use the characters nearly as much as they probably could have or should have. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, they could have been handled in, with different roles. They could have let Janna actually tie into Lando as they seemed like they were going to originally. They could have had Zori do something else but I, I think zori worked well except for the whole convenient escape thing because you know you get to the end you know and you know at, at, you know they're getting ready to leave he's like you know can i kiss you she's like no right she's like <laughs> just go um but at the end you know he you know they're looking at each other kind of nodding and he you know kind of goes huh? Huh? with one of his looks and like, Mm-mm, still uh uh-uh. uh you know that's a mm-hmm. great moment uh and it's funny but at the same time i do think that once again we're treading into something where if something is not exactly as fans wanted to see it, here are the ways to deride it. And now it becomes the oh, these characters only exist to quote unquote no homo. These two characters that some segments of fandom wanted to be together. Um, mm. We did get a lesbian kiss at the end of the film, so mm. that representation is starting to be there at least a little bit. Um, but it wasn't Pin and uh, Finn and Poe. I guess Pin. I guess maybe maybe that's the the Raylo type. <laughs> thing. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just it sometimes I'll see something like clashing savers. I'm like, that's a fantastic theory. And then I I see something like that's supposed to be all professional. I'm like, oh, shut the, you know, shut the force up. So
1: unfortunately, just as there are people out there that believe one certain fake news site or the other, that there's going to be those that believe that that's the case uh, just by what was there. And unfortunately, it's just so open and vague that they could make that argument. Um, and that's just unfortunate. Um, you you touched on so many things there. And one of the ones that when I watched back, uh, I was able to to diagnose it better and give myself solace was when I read Resistance Reborn, you know, we find out that the First Order was indeed capturing anyone with rebel ties or sympath- uh, sympathetic to the resistance or just out against the First Order. They were rounding them up, capturing them, and removing them from the playing field and that was why no one came to crate. So when Poe's talking to Zori on uh, on uh, Kimungi or whatever that planet was and he's all like, no one came and I'm just like, this is your opportunity to give the audience that little information that was only in the book. No one came but we found out it was actually because of the First Order and there's actually people out there. But no, he was all like, oh, Doom and gloom. Damn, we're screwed. And then it's Zori that's like, you don't really believe that. And I didn't catch that the first time because I was so caught up in my head of like, well, why didn't he say this? So I was like, oh, Zori's Zori's giving him his internal monologue here. Zori you read the book. Yeah, JJ right? and Poe didn't. <laughs> exactly. So I thought that was the interesting part because I was like, okay, that didn't make any sense. And another thing that was brought up in Resistance Report that they completely touched off and didn't touch again was the fact that Finn had said in the book, him and Rose both talk about it, that they had both decided they'd be better off as friends. And so like, I I did feel like because that was never mentioned that Rose definitely got snubbed time and time again throughout this film because yeah, because they established that there and it was like, but it just it, it was one of those things that I feel like that you can make the argument of that's something that they retconned out of existence in The Last Jedi. Because then here comes Johanna, who definitely felt like Finn's getting a connection to. But honestly, you stop and you think about from a male perspective here. Right. Finn was taken as a child. No parents, no one really to tell him what's right or wrong. He's living in a military thing. Most people I know in the military have one thing on their mind when they're off a uh, base drinking and sex. <laughs> you know that's a big focus of a lot of those guys topics right so finn the first thing he sees right you got a boyfriend you got a cute boyfriend I mean, he's, he's kind of a little desperate and then you know he does the same thing with rose and then he find out on the back screen behind things that they realize you know what their friendship is a lot more solid as friends because really finn is just kind of out for a little self-gratification because he's kind of a virgin and he's never really experienced life at all besides but- if all he wants is
0: is hooking up and drinking. Then Maz had her own bar at one point. Maz is who to hook up. Wait, what?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, so when Jen, when Jenna shows up, which honestly, I mean, like, I, it's cool that you've got the name tie in. I'm just kind of like, you couldn't have made her Jaina. You couldn't have made her Jaina. <laughs> but when she shows up, I felt that connection. But then I stop and I think about it. It's, it's Finn, Finn projecting like, he, of course, he's going to be super excited. Not only is she a stormtrooper, but there were others like him. He wasn't alone in that regard. And it makes his life make more sense. Plus, he's got that connection now. Like he can kind of like work that avenue. Like perhaps he might be able to do it all for the nookie. He did it for the nookie. I'm, it, it just that kind of makes sense from a male Stuck in that sophomore humor type of of way of life that kind of makes more sense what I had a hard time with with the Lando aspect once I found out that John was supposed to be his daughter I didn't catch that he stayed on that planet because he had lost her I got the feeling that Leia had sent him there because that was the last place him and Luke were together that made sense in that regard. I would have thought it would have made more sense that he had been on a planet where he had lost his daughter and that's where she sent the message to and then he traveled to the other one. That being the same location for both didn't quite work for me. And the fact that you had to find that out in that visual guide really didn't work for me. But I did get that impression when he was all like, we should go and find out. I, even though there wasn't much there, I did get that feeling like maybe it's her. And I, So I like that kind of worked and stuff. But I, I felt like one of the things that this really pointed out to me is that Disney... Lucasfilm is really playing it so safe with the books and comics that they're just missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do what has always been one of the expanded universe's best things and expanding the universe of the films and it's clear we've got canon levels like we did before, why don't you get back to that type of storytelling where you're going to enhance the experience of the films through your things. When I had to find out that that blockade runner wasn't the same blockade runner that Snap Wesley stole in Resistance Reborn, that was a huge letdown because that was one of the few things about it that tied it all together and that was a bummer. Snap though was the character that i had mentioned in the in the uh spoiler free part oh that tore me the Crack up, man. And at the time, I thought Nora wasn't there. But then when I'm watching it again, I'm pretty sure Nora was the A-Wing pilot that we see in all the the stuff. And she has comments with Poe when they're doing the fighting and stuff. So Nora was able to witness her son's death, which kills me. But Wedge showing up like five minutes after it happened and missing his stepson's death after in the book, they finally established the father and son relationship where they're both calling each other that. And it's official. They've, you know, you're my dad. You're my son. Oh that just that killed me and then I was just like you know you've got sacrifices like that that worked and then like with 3PO I felt like that would have worked so much better had R2 not had his memory cores because it's like if R2 had his memories and why didn't he plug him in a long time ago and catch him up to speed on a lot of things that happened during the Clone Wars
0: <laughs> so bursting your bubble here um, not only was that not the blockade runner, right, because that was the Tan TV four, which is apparently recovered from Yarma by an ex-Imperial or whatever, so it was tying back into an episode of, of Rebels in terms of a location and the guide gives us that, but it's not, you know, the one from Resistance Reborn. Mm-hmm. Um pretty sure that wasn't Nora because most of the pilots get named in the visual dictionary, and Nora oh. is nowhere to be found. Well,
1: um, son of a, so she's not in there anywhere, as far as we know. No, Drop and she would presumably she
0: would have been there with Wedge, right? So she probably would have been, you know, aboard the Millennium Falcon because I think he was in the gunnery chair, if I remember correctly, or something. Right. Um now the, yeah, I agree the whole Snap Wedge thing hurts having read Resistance Reborn, having followed them. And some of the new you know, the, the major characters we got post Return of the Jedi. Um here's Snap Wexley, Tim and Wexley being given all this background, and he dies, you know, kind of, you know, I mean it's it we have that moment of impact, no pun intended, um, to be able to say, oh, I can't believe he's dead. But, you know, it's not going to be a big a- impact on the audience of the film so much as it's going to be on the audience that actually has read the books. And the fact that Wedge wasn't there to see it is is painful. But at the same time, I don't know that they would have played anything with that if he had been there. So maybe it's better that it that he missed it and it's tragic rather than mm. snap dying and Wedge not saying a thing about it immediately right. after it happens. Looking at this, just speaking of different characters and the interactions, because I know we're getting pretty long, we're almost to the two-hour mark, I would say. So we're probably getting close to final thoughts. But I think that one of the other things that worked but didn't work in execution to a small degree was the Hux thing. So we have... Yeah. we have Allegiant a General Pride is now in charge, and Hux is apparently been demoted beneath him. And that sort of makes sense with the whole you know rivalry between him and Kylo, that surely Kylo would have you know, put him even further down and put his own guy. He thinks he can trust in charge, whatever, but we don't get any explanation for that. Um, we just know that there's always been this rivalry and resentment between the two, especially as we get into the last Jedi. And now Hux is the one who's willing to betray. And again, you know, he's betrays not because I want you to win, but because I want to see Kylo Ren fail. Great. Right. It's, it's it's a screwy reason for doing it, but it makes sense within the context of the character. And even him, you know, doing the shooting of the Stormtroopers and being like, I'm the spy, because he doesn't have a lot of time to do anything else other than just announce it and get them the hell out of there. That even works. But it's the reactions. It's like Finn and Poe are supposed to be us in the audience. Because it's not, whoa, really? Or something like that. It's, oh, are you kidding? Oh, oh. It's this overdramatic story. Stupid fanboy type reaction that they have—that doesn't seem like it's—it's it's rational within the context of the scene. Oh, are you kidding me? Whoa, dude! I mean, they should be turning and slapping each other on the back, being like, "Did you see that coming? I didn't see that coming." Whoa, mm-hmm. what a twist or something. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense, but the reaction to it, I think, screwed up the scene to a degree. Mm. Um, and you know, Hux gets taken out very quickly. Um, which sort of makes sense as well if there was already some suspicion towards Hux. You know, boom, you know, know, he gets shot, you know, we found a spy, you know. I'm not going to believe that you were just, you know, grazed in the leg or whatever, though it is funny that he got shot in the leg rather than the shoulder because Finn was just like, whatever, dickhead, boom. Um, (laughs) So I think that worked, but I do think that the reaction was that was too much in the Finn dialogue direction particularly given the fact that it was Poe who has that initial what, what, kind of reaction and the look on his face for Oscar Isaac. It's not within character. It's not within context. It just seemed weird. Um, well,
1: it, all think, for me, the only thing about that that was funny, because when he was messing with him in the last day, holding for general hugs, and like for him to be like, the guy I've been screwing with has been on
0: our side the whole time? <laughs> but, but no, but he hasn't been on his side the whole time. He's a new right, spy. I, they I only thought that's where out. Poe
1: was coming from. Yeah, they all...
0: They only learned about it because of booty or body or whatever the guy's name is that's uh, played also by Mark Hamill. Hamill uh, 2.0. Yeah, Hamill 2.0, you know, the win the war guy. So I think that that worked. The other thing I wanted to mention before we just, just kind of get into final thoughts and wrapping things up uh, is, is two questions then. Uh, and I'll sort of answer them myself and then hand them off to you. One is the fact that we got to say that this film, again, not only did it play it safe to some degree – um, As we've said, and it's a bit of a course correction, and it builds on Last Jedi, and it's probably better because of Last Jedi, all that kind of stuff. One thing it did seem to do was not just play into the racists who were against Kelly Marie Tran, but it managed to play into a lot of the fan theories out there. Ben Demption. The, re- the idea that Ben Solo would need to be redeemed by the end. Raylo, that there were romantic feelings, although, although I think if you watched Last Jedi and come out of that without feeling that, you probably didn't understand Last Jedi. That there's at least some of that type of connection forming aside from just like a, a, a sibling almost bond of oh you know we, we understand each other and all that. Um, the idea that Ray was a Palpatine was a fan theory, but then again there were a ton of fan theories by the time we got to the actual theatrical release, she been theorized to be basically the child of just about anybody. Um, but you put all those types of things together, plus a few more elements, um, and it seems as though to some degree, fan theory and fan speculation wound up bearing out in this case, which begs the question of whether or not that is a bad thing or something to be avoided. My argument would be that there is so much speculation on so many different levels that Ben Demption and Raylo were somewhat obvious, so I don't see those necessarily coming to fruition as playing to the fans or, or um, you know, a pandering to the fans. The Ray Palpatine thing, I think, wound up working, albeit, you know, kind of odd. But if she was going to be related to anyone, there's only a limited number she could have been theoretically related to um, in order for it to really sort of make sense. So I guess that, you know, worked as well, but it had been a fan theory. But thankfully, it wasn't Rey Kenobi, which was the more prevailing theory. So to me, not a big deal. So one was whether or not playing into those fan theories or bearing them out is something they should have actively avoided versus something that is fine as long as it still fits the story and it just happened to be true. The second, though, is the question that, you know, you talk about this idea of Rey training another generation of Jedi. We have none of that. There's nothing in the film that suggests that. There's nothing in any of the previous films that suggests that, other than the fact that she is still a Jedi that is still around. You know, the thousand generations live in her now, and there are some Force-sensitive people out there, possibly including Finn, possibly, you know, the the stable boy kind of guy. But we have no sense that she's necessarily going to build a new Jedi Order, though she may. But we may not get to see new films or new stories featuring these characters going forward. So my question is, Aside from the whole fan theory thing, given where we ended this film, Lando's going off possibly with Jannah to look for her background. Ray has now sort of taken the name of Skywalker. The war has been won. The First Order is defeated. The Final Order is defeated. The Sith Eternal blah, blah blah all defeated. Ben's gone. The new generation is in is is there because the previous generation has passed away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If this is as far forward as they go, and now we turn back and start filling in gaps prior to this. Is this, in general, or for you particularly, is this a satisfying conclusion point to leave off the Star Wars saga? Because it's always going to be an ongoing story if it's a living universe, blah, blah, blah. But at Mm -hmm. some point, the story being told has to end, whether it's Legacy Volume 2, Back with Legends, or perhaps this, as far as we know, if we're not going to get many stories taking place after it. We, We just don't know. So is it a satisfying conclusion if this is the furthest in the future we go and should they have avoided playing into any of those fan theories or is was it fine if it worked
1: man it's so uh, that's both of those are hard man why why you gotta come at me with hard questions nate because uh, <laughs> we gotta end on a high note man right uh, also listen to two
0: plus hours of this thing
1: right is it something to be avoided you know, i think too much is something to be avoided uh there's a delicate get balanced here because i think that there's a lot of payoff when done right um you know and i think because of the nature of the story and the original story was about redemption in the first place the whole redemption thing was something that everyone was right on to from the start so i don't know necessarily if that's like a theory that we had or is that we just claimed it as a theory even though it was right there in front of our face uh and same thing with the Raylo aspect and there were times where you felt that those two were having a connection and then that connection became solid and real through the force. So, you know, that was also another angle that it's like, yeah, well, we were, we were having, you know, fan theories on it, but it was again, all in our face. I think, uh, Palpa that's the one i'm going with with that uh i think that one was the one that was more fan reaction but again as you said there were so few people out there in the first place for her to be that if she had to be from somewhere and someone who would it have been um you know i mean because like there was well no i guess i guess you can't say shmi because we find out shmi dies before she has any other kids but unless she had kids before anakin and she never said anything which they could have done that angle but so, I, I think that that one's a hard one to say because there is that thin line of yes, you can go with too much fan service. Well, I don't even know that because I think about like uh, one of the episodes of The Mandalorian, the one that went to Tatooine, and like some people felt that was too, too much fan service, but I felt like it was done in such a, a great way that I have to say that there probably isn't a thing as too much. It might be too heavily handed and too in your face, uh, but I think if done right. That no, it's not something you should avoid. I think I think it's something that should be embraced and you should be cognizant of giving too much or being too in your face about it so it can be done right. Um, that'll be my answer for one. Uh, with number two, this is one that I've been uh, I've been going back and forth with some other friends online because, you know, people have, have felt like this is it. We're not going to get anything else. Um I don't think that it is a satisfactory ending if that was going to be it completely. Um I think that there's a lot of questions out there. Like for one, what about Thron's threat? We don't know what that threat was. We don't know what happened with Thrawn. We know Ezra's with him. We know Ezra wasn't one of the many voices like Ahsoka Tano or Kanan of Jedi who have died in the past that stepped in to help Rey when she said, be with me, be with me, be with me. And they were there to help her and be with her. Also solidifying her training as a Jedi. She is 100% a Jedi. Um, you know, and and the whole aspect of Luke, you know, supposed to go and, and pass on what he has learned. I think that that's something that Rey needs to be picking up uh, now i don't think that we're going to get any more movies with these characters what i think we should see is what we had in legends where the books are going to continue to expand that universe and you can give characters like ray and finn uh you know more time so if you do decide to come back and do a movie like say the threat that that thron's looking for is the next big threat and, you know, it's in the guise of the Vong. We won't use the Vong. We're going to do something else. But something that comes in from an exterior galaxy that is a, such a big threat that it basically makes everybody that was once enemies have to come together to, conf- you know, confront it. If you have something like that and you could pick up with movies set Post all of this set out far enough where, you know, Ray is just mentioned or, you know, you, you know that Ray trained these people and that's, that's where that connection is. It's through a mention of these characters. I think that that could continue and you could do something like that. I don't think that if this was the end all be all of it all, I don't feel like it was as satisfactory as they were hoping. Um, I think it does do a good job for the Skywalker saga, uh, you know, with Rey being, you know, taking the name and stuff. But I think also at the end of the day, fans can make an argument that Palpatine lives because of Rey. Um, But there is that question, too, like you had had said at the beginning of, you know, well, we see. Palpatine get vaporized in a sense, but he said he's died before, and we don't know enough about how he came back in the first place. So does that really mean he's gone, or have we just once again reset how long it takes for Palpatine to come back in a different form or fashion? um You know, I mean, think about with with Legends and Dark Empire, it was his spirit that traveled into a body of what was it, Asriel, one of his uh, Emperor's hands, and then in that body he transferred himself across the galaxy back to biss Byst- to where the cloning tanks were and then got a new body and transferred into that so in that regard if it's just energy that's being transferred then you could say that well you know he didn't die here either um because it didn't give us enough on that regard to explain it so I, that's that's probably a tougher one and i think that that one's going to be more for each fan to come to that conclusion on their own um i i think that disney lucasfilm would be remiss to just end it here and not tell any stories past this in general now in film form hey that makes sense i can understand that uh but i still think an argument can be made that you could tell other stories down the road you don't necessarily need to have these big three characters finn poe and ray to have those those movies be successful but you could still touch on those characters and have that through feel that you've gotten in other stories and in other uh tv shows books comics and things like that so i i don't know i mean it's a, it's a tough one to say but for me i i think, i think that It would not be a good idea to just never tell any stories past this film. Um, But I also feel like with with Legends, there are still more stories that need to be told post-Legacy that weren't finished. That they could be going back and telling. Which brings me to that aspect of now that this is over. Now would be a great time for them to relaunch the Legends line alongside the books that are already selling. Uh, since they're selling both universes side by side anyway, and we've always known that the one was a separate universe, and now we've ma- just made it official by giving it its own title. Now you come back and give some fans some of that as well, and you know really just start marketing the hell out of your two products and go forward with that and give everybody what they want. I mean, for me, I want to see Ray rebuild the Jedi because. That was something that was so fundamental to Luke's arc for me. So in The Last Jedi, finding out that not only did he fail, but after he failed, he turned his back and he left. That was brutal. Um, and, and it's something also that can be said in that moment. Like, I thought some of the Knights of Ren were fallen Jedi that Ben took with him, because didn't they say that some of the Jedi went with Ben? I'm like, where the hell are they? Oh, but it turns out
0: that's just a misunderstanding of Luke's. As we see mm-hmm. in the Kylo Ren comic, he didn't take anybody with him. There were ones who chased him and there were ones who got killed. And it turns yeah. out the ones that got killed weren't even killed by Ben. It was like somehow like through the force. It's hard to even see the scene. It's like somehow through the force, what, like Palpatine or Snoke or someone like called down lightning or something and blew up the temple and set it on fire or something and killed a bunch of them. But yeah, it seems like there's very much a your own you know point of view type of scenario going on big time with the uh, backstory of Kylo Ren with the comics. But at the point that we're recording this, only the first issue is out and has already, you know, raised those kinds of things.
1: Right. One of the things that, uh, that bothered me when I watched it was the convenience of the rebel fleet showing up. And I, I say rebel fleet loosely because in the end, on my second viewing, they're just people, which I thought was actually kind of nice. They're just regular people. nobodies, are what came together and took out the final order. Um, we get in Resistance Reborn, we know that that's where Wedge and Nora go. They take off and they're trying to, you know, pump everyone up because of what happened on Crate. And then we also know Lando goes out and, and does the same thing. And clearly Lando's got a lot of connections. And clearly Nora and Wedge have been doing a pretty dang good job. Um so, so, you know, on second watch, that made a lot more sense as to where they came from. I was like, oh, okay. Because when I first watched, I was like, how convenient. The same people that wouldn't show up when both Luke and Leia were alive, now that they're both dead, and now that the fir- Final Order's got hundreds, if not thousands, of Star Destroyer, uh, Death Star-equipped Star Destroyers out there, now they want to risk their lives. <laughs> I was very cynical of that part when I watched it on the first time. true second least... time, I was able to park that. <laughs>
0: But at least now they know that Palpatine is back, right? I mean, before they may not have saw the First Order as a real threat, but the threat coming from Palpatine and the fact that Palpatine was back and that the galaxy has heard this transmission, which we could have heard if you play Fortnite, um, that I think probably is what spurred people to be more active. But again, there were also the ones that got captured who had to be liberated to be able to participate eventually too. But yeah, it's a hell of a gigantic fleet for no one to have been able to show up at crate but i have to assume that part of it is the year or so that has elapsed because it is a year after um according to the visual dictionary uh and part of it is the fact that it was you know the dead speak and everyone's
1: like holy shit well then poe even had mentioned that too at the beginning too where he was like no we've confirmed it is palpatine because they were like well maybe it's not him um i did watch i was looking out really hard because someone one of the sites said that there was a botan we finally get to see a botan Dude, there was no Bothan. I did not see a Bothan. What I saw was the same Resistance air flag traffic controller guy of a species that we've already established isn't Bothan, and another one like him. There was like an elfish-looking guy, and I'm like, now if that's a Bothan, they've changed their looks. I'm not so thrilled on that. Uh, I love that we got the voices of all the Jedi in that scene. Like I said, Kanan was there, Ahsoka was there, which doesn't bode well for Ahsoka's character at this point, um, unless she was just meditating somewhere and like felt the Force call and was like, hey, I'm tapping in on this call. Hey, girl, you can do this. Uh, the other thing, though, that I thought was both equally nice and I wished for a little bit more was when, when Ray goes to Tatooine and she buries the uh, lightsabers of Luke and Leia and then Luke and Leia's Force Ghost show up as the nod of her, giving her last name is Skywalker. I kind of wish Ben was there as a Force Ghost. But then when I stop and think about it, I'm like, you know what would have made that even better? I mean, it worked. Don't get me wrong. So what I'm saying here isn't like they should have done this. But I think it would have worked better to have had it been Luke and Leia's Force Ghost, then Ben's Force Ghost. And then slowly every single Jedi that's voice was voiced and or all the Jedi that we've seen on the film showing up as Force ghosts as this big act of, you know, the Jedi are all there and we all live with you. And like that whole celebration feel that you got at the end of the Phantom Menace when they're all standing there right before Boss Noss is like, peace, kind of thing. I think that would have been a really cool way to go out as well. True. And that final
0: scene, the idea of her sort of taking up the mantle of Skywalker and them seeming to approve of it, that sort of explains the title, right? Rise of Skywalker. It's back to sort of the family you choose versus the family you are born into, which has always kind of been, you know, a, a part of Star Wars, particularly when we get groups like, you know, the characters of Rebels and and whatnot. So, yeah, it, it worked Um It took me a little bit to figure out that her new lightsaber is made from her staff, not made from remnants of Kylo's saber, but then I'm like, duh, Kylo threw his saber into the ocean, so duh, it's not from that. So for um, me,
1: that was uh, – I was uh, going back to Anaheim because when I walked through the museum and I got to see that SAF before and looked at it, I'm like – I called it immediately. I'm like, there is a lightsaber hilt at the end of that. It was a dual-bladed Kylo – or uh, XR Kuhn-style lightsaber at the end of that. And I want to say that the visual guide calls it a power conduit. So I'm like, hey, that just makes sense. Jedi make things out of anything. So a power conduit would make sense. And the way that that thing opened up and ignited, I was, oh,
0: I was so so excited. <laughs> Yep. So I think it worked uh, as an ending, you know, bringing it back, you know, back around to, to Tatooine. I mean, a lot of this film was sort of the coda, right? It was bringing it back to Tatooine at the end, bringing it back to Palpatine, bringing back the voices of the other Jedi and whatnot. And so sort of the idea that this is a culmination of the Jedi versus Sith over time, uh, the, the end cap for Leia, uh, Han being back, but again, not getting a scene you know, with all three of them. Um, Luke being back, just like Yoda with, in the in Last Jedi with the really super kind of weird-looking blue Force ghost that must be just, you know, extra force C because it's Achtu rather than somewhere else. Um, I think the ending scene worked. Um, I walked out feeling satisfied, so I guess we're heading into final thoughts. Um, I walked out to this one feeling satisfied, still had some questions, still have some questions now. Mm-hmm. Um, second viewing solidified some of that, um, kind of knowing what to expect, being able to catch more nuances. Um, I definitely believe this is the strongest film, for me at least, of the sequel trilogy. Though, for me, that's always been the case. The third film in each trilogy so far has been the one that I've said is my favorite. It's Mm -hmm. the other two that tend to vacillate back and forth. Not so much with this trilogy. For me, it's just three, two, one. But when it comes to the other trilogies, it tends to be the third one that's the favorite, and then the other two back and forth, depending on how I'm feeling, whether it's you know which is the better film and which one is bogged down Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones right now I tend to think it's 3 2 1 because I tend to think of Attack of the Clones at least has the older characters instead of Jar Jar and Jake Lloyd being you know goofy throughout the film um original trilogy Jedi for sure but then Empire with its big revelations or is it a new hope with the battle of Yavin um, that is so tense initially so you know kind of going back and forth with those but definitely I felt like for a s- a, a trilogy that has had its issues, <laughs> has been divisive, was made for a new generation by a different generation in essence, um, mm-hmm. and that you know was trying to wrap up a broader saga while also wrapping up its own story, and at the same time try to pay homage to what came before and yet do new things that had to somehow please everyone and in doing so managed in some cases to not fully please anyone. I think that this turned out to be a strong entry into the Star Wars saga. I very much enjoyed it. I think that at this point, I probably prefer the sequel trilogy over the prequel trilogy, at least. Um, but again, the you go beyond that into specifics and trying to rank all the films in order, and that's just you know, that's just not mm-hmm. something I feel like I, I'm able to do. Um, right. But it's one of these films where I'm again i I loved the experience of going to see rise of skywalker and i really enjoyed the film um but i have to sit back in context and remember that a lot of the reason why this film had so much for me personally to enjoy is because of last jedi Mm -hmm. so since i was a fan of last jedi even with the course correction aspects for me it worked but i can definitely see where there will be some fans for whom like my friend jeff kenda um just hated this film i can see where there are people who would dislike this film and for whom this is almost the ultimate blow to their fandom perhaps that we finally get an end to the skywalker saga not just a sequel trilogy but the film saga of the nine and this is what we got if hmm. they didn't like this it casts a pall on everything else um just like the sequel trilogy in general if you don't like the sequel trilogy it tends to cast a pall over the other films because now it's a broader thing than just the original six so yeah, I mean, I can understand that it's going to be divisive, and I would love to see when we do our feedback episode once we get done with year in review um, to see other things people would like us to talk about that we didn't get a chance to hit or other perspectives to respond to. But for me, as I said I really enjoyed it. I just I don't know what to say other than just it's it's probably right now one of my favorite Star Wars films. It. Doesn't mean anything, though, when it's me saying that, because usually the most recent one I've seen winds up being near the top of the heap anyway. It's only after <laughs> many repeated viewings that things start to sort of shuffle in context in my mind. So right. um, I dug it, and I'm glad that uh, they managed to go out with as solid a film as they did quibbles that I have with it and all, rather than something that played it as safe as something like The Force Awakens.
1: Right. Um, You know, and I'm happy for you and I'm happy for everybody that came out of that absolutely loving it and it being their favorite films. Um, For me, it definitely like I said, it, it made it clear that this trilogy is just not my favorite trilogy there. And don't get me wrong. I have always said every single piece of Star Wars work has its good and its bad. So there is a lot of good in this whole trilogy. It's just for me, it was one of those that shifted a direction that I just wasn't as thrilled with overall. Uh, that said, I think. Of the trilogy, if I had to rank these, I would probably say this is probably my favorite of the three. Uh, it would have been the Force Awakens, but honestly, when I stop and I be a little more intellectually honest than I care to admit, uh JJ's the one that pushed Luke into this direction that Ryan Johnson kind of picked up and ran with. And that's probably the number one thing about this trilogy that I just dislike the most. I don't like where they put the Jedi. And if they go forward and they're not gonna rebuild the Jedi, and that's not the the purpose of rays doing all this training, if it was just to be Palpatine and then fade off into the dis- distance and turn to dust, it'll just be one more thing about this trilogy that I just did not like. Um, but visually there was so much going on that I absolutely loved it. The new characters, their dialogue and stuff. I absolutely loved. So I would definitely put this one as my favorite with, uh, the force awakens as my second favorite. And of course, you know, it's no secret that the more I watched the last show, the less I liked it. Um, but I mean, again, the, like you said, there are things about that. F- film that tie into this that make this film so much better i mean that pass off of that lightsaber is probably one of my favorite scenes next to darth maul standing there with the, the da Da-da, da 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 like oh my god it's going down uh so i think for me that's where my hangups are with it um I, it, it's it's just a tough one because you know when you've been in phantom as long as i have and you're in, so invested in so many aspects of it and you know and you name your kids and stuff so I I don't think that the trilogy itself is, is something that destroyed a part of my fandom. I think that them choosing to end Legends is what really hurts my fandom. And I say end as in not adding new content. They didn't get rid of it. They haven't done anything in that regard. They just rebranded it and made official what some fans knew all along. It was its own universe anyway. And I think that comes back to me. That's like the number one thing. And I went into this trilogy open to the idea of where are they going to go. I just was not a fan of what happened with the original big three. To me, that was probably... And I hate to use the word disrespectful, but I mean, it felt disrespectful for me because that wasn't something I was ready to have. Um, I'm one of those fans that it was not something that was easy to swallow. And I've been trying to just swallow it and keep it down. And I keep regurgitating the things that I didn't like about it. And that's on me. That's not necessarily on them. That's just the choice that they chose. And with the fandom being so big, I'm one of those that fell on that side. Like, I I understand where Jeff's coming from. Um, You know, there are some people that I know. My son walked out when Chewie died. When he thought Chewie died, he walked out. He came back in and watched the rest of the movie. And he said it was good at times, but he didn't like it. And I I feel good in the aspect of I didn't spoil anything for him. So for him to come to that conclusion and be in the same, you know, general area of play that I was, I was like, okay, cool. I didn't corrupt him to get there because <laughs> that's what I felt like was gonna happen, was I was gonna corrupt everyone in my family because of how much I loved legends. Uh, you know, I mean, my wife had a lot of issues, and her issues were the fact that it wasn't what she had come to know from legends. And I think that Mark Hamill even had that when he was filming the last Jedi, Luke Skywalker was so fundamentally different than what so many people figured Luke was going to go down, that it was just a hard sell for some people. Some people were able to get on board with that. And to those that were able to get on board and they love it. Hey, awesome. You guys have that. I mean, like I said, I still have rebels or stories in there that I are just my bread and butter. I do look forward to the fact that the more I watch this film and already that's been that case, Uh, I feel a lot better about the film enough to say that. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite of these three films. Um, I just, I just hope the more I watch it, the more I I grow to appreciate it, the more I start to love it. And the more that I can give it it's due. Cause right now it's definitely my least favorite trilogy of the entire saga. And in some form and fashion, there's a part of me that goes intellectually dishonest and be like, well, you know, if I really don't like it, I can always pretend it just never happened. (laughs) So, I mean, I've always got that as well, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I came away not feeling as good about it as others. And that was unfortunate for me, but it's, you know, JJ knew going in that that was going to be the case that some people were just not going to like it. Um, at least when JJ did it, he didn't come at it from the angle of, uh, Ryan Johnson, where he's like, I'm purposely trying to split people up. I w- I want you to have a gut check. You're either going to like this or you're not I'm like, really, that's the way you want to go into this. And JJ didn't do that. And I appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. Um, but what if I, I stop and I think back onto the force awakens, there were decisions that JJ seeded then that if I look back on it all, even though I loved it at the time, I should have known that a lot of the writing was on the wall that when I got to the last Jedi, I shouldn't have had a wait for Ryan Johnson to prove what JJ set up had happened because there were things that were seeded back then that were just hard for me to swallow. Um, But there were so many great moments in this that it definitely, it pushes it up there. And I hope that if you didn't like the overall, direction of this trilogy that you can at least appreciate the good things about this movie uh because I, I think that that jj did such a job with the visual eye candy that there was just a lot of plot points that i can just overlook and move beyond even though there are some things that i wish they just hadn't have done like i would have totally done the death star thing differently put put that MacGuffin in a different area there was a lot of aspects of this that i did not feel like it went to the whole deuce ex machina like oh how convenient was that uh but I don't know if you can get around that with a lot of Star Wars stuff, uh, honestly. um I think that that's kind of like part of its its calling card. Um, you know, there's just certain things you kind of expect from a Star Wars movie, and certain things kind of being the will of the force, if you will, uh, will be one of those things. Um, I like the aspect that Finn's a force sensitive. Uh, I know that there were a lot of people that come away with the idea that everyone was force sensitive after the last Jedi. I don't think that that was ever the message. I think the message was, was that we all have the force and some of us can hear it. Um, you know, like Finn may not be a powerful Jedi. Finn might've been one that got regulated to the agricultural corpse, but just like wedge and just like Han and just like Poe, regular people have the force with them and they are instruments of the force and the actions they do. I think that message has always been there. I think that message has been there since the first films uh, so I think for people that have not caught that message and had to have felt like they needed to have that message in the last Jedi spelled out for them. And then that they felt that that was robbed for them. I think they just need to go back and relook at it again. It's always been there. That hasn't really changed. Uh, and I think, you know, like we didn't have metachlorines in this film and I don't know if that was good or bad. Like I, I think that the film did well enough that even though there were big plot holes and a lot of convenient moments and stuff for me, uh, I think that it will stand on its own. I just, I just, I just, wasn't as keen on a lot of those things i'm hoping that changes in time but again it's a personal relationship with star wars and i don't think everyone's going to be a lot of people are going to be hardlined, that was done i'm over and they're going to be curmudgeony and sarcastic and really cynical about a lot of things from here on out because that's just the direction that they chose to go i hope in my bottom of my heart that the lucas disney film decides to pull their head out of their proverbial butts and give us some more legend stories down the road because There are people that are dying to know more about what's going on with Jaina solo, Ben Skywalker, and those stories. There are other stories and legends that were just never finished that it'd be awesome to get some of that fan service too. you know? I mean, if, if we're worried about fan service and we're still fan servicing, let's fan service everybody and get everybody happy again, because I am sick and tired of all the constant, this is just, this divided everybody. We're all on one side. We're on the other and watching people just go back and forth with the hatred and the, the, Masked hatred of, I just hate the haters. It's like, you don't. You just love digging on them just as much as the rest with your guys' snide comments. You, I'm sorry, but not sorry. You No, you're adding to the problem just as much as the haters are, and unfortunately, the direction of how they've d- decided to go with the IP has forced a lot of fans into these boats, and that's an unfortunate aspect of it all. I just, you know, I'm ready to just light that peace torch and do the boss nos Peace! Peace out, I'm done.
0: Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to toxicity. So, maybe not so much with the anger and just agree that we can all have different opinions on things. Right. Um, but it's not like we haven't been talking about that for years, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um. So, yeah, so next up should be our year in review stuff. We'll break that down into separate episodes for different types of things. And then uh, make sure you get some thoughts to us. Make sure you email them so we can actually hang on to them, uh, right. to us uh, in regards to this episode and Rise of Skywalker, and we'll be able to hit a feedback episode once we get done with the year in review. It may be a little while because you know finding recording times has been particularly tough for us lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, definitely plan on that as the next uh, few episodes that you will hear from us. So it'll probably take us into, gosh, probably middle of of uh, twenty twenty. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that is our twenty twenty vision.
1: Right, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom and remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com Episodes are also available on Zune, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans or if you want to get a piece of nathan's library now is the time strike while the die is hot so if you have any star wars and or legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com and lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our sponsors audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com star wars report you get a free trial run of audible to see what it's all about our sponsors, they have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the Canon Universe, or any other universe, or any other genre for that fact, without risk of being stuck with a book you flat-out hate, because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and... May the Force be with you, Ray. And don't quote us the odds
0: that fans realize how lucky they are that JJ didn't create a whole new Resistance intelligence background for Lando so he could change his race to white so he could be portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Come on! <laughs> what are the odds of that one? Oh, God. Probably as much as me getting Legends to continue. Hashtag Continue Legends.
0: <laughs> Hey, if they were going to do it, now is the time to do it, now that these films are done. And you're not going to confuse people, because, you know, we all are stupid. S-T-O-O-P-A-D.
1: Stupid! Stupid!
0: (laughs) Always!